Behold, behold, behold the pale podcast. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. My life has value. My life has value. Behold the Pale Podcast. All right, folks, welcome back. To another episode of Behold, 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 a Pale Podcast. Woo! Oh yeah, Alexander Hawk is in the building again. As you can hear him, ghostly coming from the uh, the nether void of uh, Dementiaville over there. Yes, we have, on the uh, other dimension where sight and sound is a whole different experience. And above Alexander Hawk, we have Ray Bootin. How you doing over there, Ryan? Not bad. How about you? Doing fantastic. Doing very well. Uh, we have a fantastic guest with us this week. You know what I mean? You guys excited? Oh, yeah. Oh. Heck, yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I mean over there? Everybody, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right, good guys. You good people over there. All right, we, we have uh, this gentleman. Um, we won't talk about the things that he, you may have seen him doing with us because we won't put that burden on him. You know what <laughs> I mean? We won't horrify his career before it started. Um, the great Jeffrey Berry is with us in the building. You know what I mean? Master's student of philosophy. Killing it. Uh, we always try to be deep and philosophical over here at the Behold the Pill podcast show. <laughs> You know, so we wanted to, we wanted to, we wanted to bring, you know, Jeff's a long time, long time listener, long time listener. He's been listening to the show religiously, religiously since, you know, the first episode that we had. We, we appreciate him for that email and messaging on the Facebook console for ooh, ooh, so many times to begging, just begging to be on the show. So we were glad we could hook it up for him. Jeff's a good man. Um, I know that uh, we're going to have him on for a couple episodes in the future, but uh, we're going to use this episode to tap in a little bit uh, with Jeff and get a vibe, get a vibe. And, you know, he used to be a USA or used to be a good old American. You know what I mean? Now he's no longer that. Obviously, <laughs> now he's, he's still on our side, though. We still like him. He's an international uh, man of mystery. He's an international man of mystery. So, 
Jeff, how you doing over there? Give us for anybody out there listening, just give them a quick rundown of uh, of yourself, real quick, and you know how you came to be and such. How I came to be here. How you came to yeah? How you became to be there? I heard you have a, you have a world famous dad. Is that is that is that a is that an appropriate thing to say or is that I should yeah, never I start mean, it off? <laughs> That's such a loaded uh, a loaded statement, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the – I can tell you I didn't get the travel from him. That's that's yeah. definitely – that's true. Sure. You know, I don't, I don't know who I got that from. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just um, – I went to Ireland like about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and um, I just loved it. I mean, I figured I was – just keep doing it and doing it. And then um, the opportunities with school got easier and easier to – pursue and uh yeah i found myself here i mean it's cheap it's cheap that's the big reason you get a master's degree over here for 700 dollars a semester you get a master's degree in the u.s for seventy thousand dollars a year so it's 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 kind of um i mean you get to live in a beautiful beautiful place that's older than anything i've ever experienced you know anything i've seen in the united states of course you know the city salzburg's like I think 2000 something years old, uh, the Roman city of Jejuvum, but don't, don't quote me on that. I don't know if that's how to pronounce it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's why I'm here. I'm here studying. Um, but I'm also here. Yeah. As a man of, a man of, uh, travel, man of mystery, just kind of doing whatever I can get my hands on, you know, and, uh, going different places. But of course, COVID has, has, uh, you know, interfere with that of course. quite a bit. Yeah. We, uh, going back in time, maybe I would, it's one of the, you know, traveling, one of those things they try when you're young travel, you know what I mean? Makes, makes sense. Um, it, you know, I, I'd still like to do a little traveling myself. I know Alex over here, college over in Pennsylvania, you know, but, uh, just came back from, uh, Budapest, uh, Bucharest, Bucharest. Bucharest. Bucharest yeah. yeah. Romania. People, they're not supposed to know about the Budapest trip. <laughs> that's very, that's very under the cuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, yeah, I went to Bucharest. That was a, a cool, interesting experience. I mean, the major downside is because of COVID with all the restrictions, and I was going yeah. there specifically for pretty much work. Yeah, that I had to, you know, sign paperwork and all that. Where pretty much I go to the hotel, I go to set go back to the hotel, and uh, other than uh, running out to get food, really was uh, you know, not supposed to go anywhere else, you know, because of the restrictions. So, yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked that you even, because um, I, I saw that on Facebook, I was bl- kind of blown away that you even got over here uh, <laughs> without, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard unless you have, a visa. So I don't. I mean, did you get a visa, res, like any type of temporary permit or something? No, or? Alex, actually, Alex got some sex trafficking friends he goes way back with. They kind of yeah, got, yeah, got yeah, yeah, yeah. On on the DL, you know, on the DL. But um, no, um, when uh, when the director told me about uh, going to Romania, first of all, this is the first time I ever you know left the country, U.S. First time outside of the U.S. And, of course, with all the COVID rules, I had to, uh, you know, get uh, tested 
and have all that paperwork so it could even go. Um, but I think the only reason, I mean, when I looked at it, they said that I didn't need the visa to go into uh, Bucharest. And uh, I just had to have that paperwork. And I think the main reason is because uh, it was, you know, pretty much uh, for a job. It wasn't just going over there to, you know, sightsee or anything like that. I think that's the only real reason why um, I was able to do that. Because I th- when I first put it uh, down and it was, and I just placed it down as, you know, just visiting, it gave me a lot of uh, red flags, didn't allow me to do that. But I think because it was listed as, you know, for a job, I think that's why I was able to do that. So. I don't know about any any other places. I know because I had to do a layover in Paris for seven hours on the way there. And then I had to do another layover in Amsterdam on the way back. And um, because those things, I just stayed in the airport. I didn't have to do any extra uh, you know, visas or anything like that. I did, you know, maybe it's just my face, but it's like every time you, they randomly checked someone, it was always me. I must just have that face. I don't know. You have like, what's beard. he hiding in that beard? Yeah. Yes. Beard. Yes. I mean, what am beard. I? Yeah. Some yes, contraband yes. in there. <laughs> well, you know, got some cocaine over here. I got some, you know, <laughs> other stuff. With on the salt and pepper, you wouldn't even be able to notice it. That is true. That is true. Like how you uh, jump right to drugs, Huck. <laughs> hey, drugs. With the cocaine is, too. Hey. Yeah. Little nose candy, gotta love it. <laughs> you got diabetes. <laughs> so yeah, so so you you were traveling out before the, you know we get the pandemic. Of course, both of you guys can talk about how crazy you know uh, the pandemic thing. You know, just having to go in. I know, Hawk, you had to go get you tested just to get on the plane and stuff, and yeah. Jeff, what about you? How, how's that? You know, you, all the traveling you're doing. How they when you're in, when you're doing the jumping around, you know how you know you get to set up set up your uh, appointments to go get tested, or how's that go? I can't I can't leave Austria right now. I mean, I I can leave. I've left, and the, the furthest I've gone from Austria is I live um, probably about twenty minutes from Germany, so I can go yeah. on my bike. I ride my bike to Germany, um, but I haven't done that in a little while. But um, yeah, the way that the system works here is for a while, everything was closed and they recently opened up stores, salons, everything like that again. And you have to go get a test. So you have to have a negative test result to go into a, to go get a, you know, a haircut, um, to go to a restaurant, uh, yeah. something like that. Um, I mean, that's, that's really all. I mean, but you can't leave, you know, there's no, there's no leaving. There's no going to, it's really hard for me to go to Italy, to go to another country right now, you know, to go to Germany. Um, I mean, any of the surrounding countries, it's not, it's, it's doable, but it's not worth doing. You know what I mean? There's too many hopes, uh, hoops to jump through where it just doesn't make it worthwhile. Um, but yeah, the process to get here was really, was like a nightmare. I started that back in April of last year and I didn't get my visa till September. Hmm. So I had to go to New York. 
I had to apply, I had to pay. It was like $700 worth of fees. Yeah. They had to send everything over here to Vienna, send everything back. Um, I had to get it. They, they made a mistake on it. I had to send it back. Um, yeah. And then I came here. And then once you get here, none of the stuff that you had in the United States is accepted anymore. So like yeah. they were like, your insurance is invalid. So you need to get social insurance. Um, you need to get a new, like, I need to get a new driver's license if I want to drive. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much, but I'm here for the long haul. I, I think I'm going to, I'm probably going to stay here at this point. I, I think I've been here seven months already. I mean, I came here with the intention of, of staying, but I've been yeah. here seven months now. And I mean, I'm learning the language. It's, I'm not going to learn German and then just and leave. It doesn't make sense yeah. to me. I'm, it's, it's, it's too, it's too, uh, too much effort, too much work. <laughs> no, I hear you. You know what I mean? You're evolving. You're evolving into a German man right before our eyes. Right. It's so beautiful. Um, yeah. So, you know, I remember you saying that when you, you know, going over there was like an interesting take, you know, to a foreign land. You kind of got the, got the, got the vibe, you know, the outlook uh, of like an immigrant, you said, doing the immigrant. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I mean, of course. So, I mean, it's something that I think in the U.S. right now, right? Like, it's when everybody complains about immigration. Like, yeah. when you start to see it from, you know, the inside. And I'm a white, I'm white, too. So, it's like, I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't know what it, you know, uh, I just, I imagine that I have it probably easier than some other people. You know, than, than say, um, you know, just in the eyes of, in the eyes of those in charge, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. cause there's definitely, there's prejudice everywhere, but I would say that my experience has been, um, yeah, I mean, it, you can't get jobs. You can't get nobody really like nobody considers you for any positions for anything really. Um, because you're not, you don't have, you know, you're not an Austrian citizen or you're not a new citizen. Um, yeah, you need to speak the language. There's constant emphasis on that. Um, yeah, I mean, in that sense, you know, but it's that's not, the thing though. I'm not here. I'm not here because I have to be here. I'm right. here because I want to be here. So that's the, that's another re- thing that makes it hard, you know? So it's not like America where you'll hear, you know, uh, everybody's kind of do speaking whatever language they want to speak. You know what I mean? It's more of a, they want you to kind of do what they, you know, not in a bad way, but do what, do it their way or, or, or the highway type deal. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I feel like it's probably the same way in America. Right. But it's easy as somebody who's the, in that position of power yeah. to like, to, to look down and, and say, and to make, you know, to, to, yeah. Like we, we, we like to, we create these like kind of fantasies in our mind that like, it's so easy for people to come place, you know, come to some place and like, thought like, flourish you know yeah um and i mean yeah i mean i'm not an expert on immigration by any means but uh i definitely think it's i mean to do it the right way is very very hard and i think even to do it the wrong way is hard but yeah i mean i don't think there's any easy way to do it (laughs) yeah so it it gives me all i'm saying is it gives me a different perspective on it than i had previously yeah. You know, it makes me think about it a little bit in a different way. Like maybe before 
you know, if I'm to come back to the United States and somebody maybe is struggling to speak English with me, maybe then like, instead of thinking like, Oh, why hasn't this person learned the language quicker? Why are you here? You know what I mean? Having a, yeah, yeah. Kind of a thought like that, I'll be more prone to be understanding of that person because I was in a similar situation where I, I didn't know what to say at one time or another, you know? So yeah, life lessons, you know, you, you adapt as a human you know what I mean? You, uh, as you deal with different life things, you, you change your life to, uh, everybody's almost like trying to be good people or something. Why would they want to do that? Right. <laughs> They're all trying to figure out their path, but that's what the deal. And I'm very happy to hear that you're, you're, you're making these changes. You're making these changes. Um, you were a good guy before, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And, uh, scary Barry jr. All right. I heard there was uh, a, yeah, well, we won't get into that. We won't get into that. We won't get into that. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, you know, there was different levels you were saying, I remember. Yeah, I mean, you have the, you're, I don't know, like, the exact, I don't know what the acronym would be necessarily. I, yeah. But there's a system, yeah, there's a system in place um, where they grade language aptness, essentially. So, like A1 is like, you can say hello, you can say please and thank you. And, you know, you might be able to like order a coffee or something or, or maybe check out at the store counter and get, you know, with your beer or whatnot, your food. Um, and then B, like A2 is like, you're a little bit more advanced, of course. You know, you can, it's pretty much kind of the same thing. You just have a little bit more understanding of the vocabulary. Yeah. And then B1, which is, I'm taking a class on B1 now. It's essentially like in an ideal situation, you'd be able to speak with people in most situations. Like you'd be conversationally apt, but it's not as, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to memorize the vocabulary and like do, you know, apply it to a test. It's another thing to like actually speak the language though. So, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of, it's, I think like you can be a B1 on paper but not be a B1 and re- like have like the yeah. reality, the, uh, you know, the, the experience that you should have necessarily. Yeah. Spoken. And you say they do kind of look down on people, you know, the same way you were, like you were saying before, somebody might look at somebody speaking with broken English and go, why don't you speak English or whatever you feel they get the same vibe towards somebody that doesn't, you know, speak I, I don't know. No, German. Not, 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 not really, like not to me anyway. Like I've heard yeah. stories of I've heard stories of people from like different countries getting a lot of negative feedback. Like people from like I'm in part of you know different groups, different like groups of immigrants here that live here. Um, and you know we have people from Turkey, we have people from various parts of Asia. And I mean, those people will say that yeah, like they have kind of they they just and that has a lot to do with the fact that. You know, I think it has a lot more to do with the color of their skin, you know, than, than anything. But there's like, they get a lot of negative pushback. Yeah. But I haven't necessarily experienced that. I just kind of get the occasional like, oh, you don't speak German. And then people speak English to me because everybody speaks English. Yeah. But the difficult thing is Marlene, my girlfriend, no one in her family speaks English. So like when I go to her village, I... I don't, I can't really converse with them. And that's the other problem too. If you speak German, they teach you, it's called, it's, it's Hochdeutsch, 
so it's high German. Um, but no one in Austria is grows up speaking Hochdeutsch. They speak, you know, Österreich, uh, Österreichisch, or yeah. or um, you know, in Viertelisch. So you can speak German with somebody, and then they will just, but they'll they'll speak to you in an Austrian dialect, and you're like, I don't even know what you just said. I mean, we're talking differences that are like pretty pretty crazy. Like in yeah. German, you'd say "Ich weiß es nicht," which is "I don't know." In Austrian, they'll say "Ivosanid." Yeah. So it's like to somebody who doesn't live here for a long time, if you speak regular German, you'll be super confused. I mean, German speakers from Germany don't understand right. some Austrian speakers. So you know, I don't know. So that's another hurdle. Who's your favorite Austrian, Arnold? I actually really like Christoph Waltz, but yeah. I also, but I also, I also really like um, Michael Heineke, the director I was telling you about the other day. Well, yeah, you, you know him, game. Funny Games, Funny Games. I'm very familiar. Yeah, funny Games is a great movie. I love it. Uh, you were telling me about another film he did that I, I wasn't familiar with that I got to uh, check out. Das Das Weissabend is the name of the film. Um, it's a black and white film, and. It's really like a lot of his films, right? There's no, there's no like, he doesn't spell out this super clear plot. He leaves a lot of holes. So that film, especially, we actually did a, in a philosophy class, we did a, um, a whole sec, a whole segment on it. And essentially like the film, one of the theories was that the film explores kind of pre-Nazism. So like how, how, religion and nationalism kind of culminate into this, you know, of that time culminate into what then would be national socialism of the 1930s, because the kids in the movie are like the kids in the film are essentially like, you know, they're going to be um, followers. They're going to be following Hitler to war. So that's, that's, what's really like interesting about the movie. Um, yeah, I love that movie. I, I've I've seen it like I mean I had to watch it for class, of course, so it was kind of homework. But I, I've yeah. probably seen it about ten times, and um, every single time you watch it, there's something new that you didn't pick up on before. I mean, it's really like it's it's thrilling. And you said it was on YouTube, right? It's not on YouTube. No, it's oh. I I don't I have the link. I can see if or I should still have it, so I might be able to send it to you. Yeah, but, I'd love to watch um, it. Yeah, it's. But the thing is, it's, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it has subtitles or it might have subtitles. The Criterion collection should get on that. <laughs> they should, how's the, uh, how's the old, uh, the art world over there? Um, like, what do you mean? The cities? Yeah. Like in the city, uh, you, you got like you, the music, uh, underground arts, underground filmmakers, uh, you know, poetry, paintings, yeah. all that, all of it, all the, all that uh, artistic jazz. Salzburg's really cool because I mean, I don't know necessarily about the underground scene because of yeah. course I live here with COVID. It's very hard to like meet a lot of people, but, yeah. um, from, from like just, you know, when you walk outside and you and you look at all the architecture, I mean, Salzburg is a beautiful city because very little of the city was actually destroyed during the Second War. 
So, I mean, you, if you go to like Berlin, if you go to Vienna, if you go to like any of those, ma- any major city, um, they were pretty much carpet bombed and, and a lot of architecture was lost. But in Salzburg, I think the only like building that was really hit by a U.S. by a U.S. bomber was uh, the church, one of the churches, the Dome, Dome de Salzburg, I think. And um, other than that, I mean, there's water fountains that the Romans built. I mean, it's a beautiful city. There's like they and they, they do a great job of uh, of covering these, you know, these artifacts up in the wintertime. So they put yeah. like cages over them and stuff. And um yeah, I mean, Salzburg is a really nice city. We have a castle that was built in, I think, 242 AD in the center of the yeah. city. It overlooks the whole city. Um, it's right. a fortress and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really picture. It's probably the most picturesque place you could possibly live. Mm. I mean, you don't really, you don't ever get used to it. It's, yeah. it's really, yeah, I don't know. You'll have to look up, if you look up any picture of Salisbury, that's, I mean, it's not, it's crazy. That's just what it looks like. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I always like Salisbury steaks, so I'll probably like that. <laughs> Salisbury steaks. I know you told me they had a lot of record stores over there, which I'm a big uh, everybody. You know, I can appreciate some records. You know, so yeah, I mean, Gigantor. You tell me they were like Gigantor. Whenever you have big Gigantor stores like that, there's always an underground community of musicians or just like you know music lovers that are out yeah. there. Uh, well, what you'll what you I think what you'll what you realize real quick about Austrian people in general is that they're kind of, tra- they're pretty traditional. I mean, obviously you know, Marlene is looking at me now, not the younger generation, but like, you know, um, yeah, they like, they just kind of like things a certain way and they don't like things to change. So for instance, the beer here in Austria, like I like craft beer. I miss craft beer a lot from America, of course. Yeah. And I can't, I can't get craft beer here almost pretty much at all. I mean, it's pretty hard to find. Like no one really drinks it. And it's like that with a lot of things, like anything that's kind of what you would consider to be like super hipsterish. Yeah. It's just kind of like out. I mean, unless you go to Vienna, unless you go to like a really big, big city, it's not really super popular here. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like people really like old things like collectibles especially i think in salzburg because it's a pretty big retiree city a lot of people come here from all around europe to retire yeah so i mean yeah there's record stores everywhere there's um i mean there's just there's record stores everywhere you have a lot of i mean mozart was born here so you have mozart's birth house is is in the city um you have tons of old music and because Mozart was born here, you have tons of music stores. I mean, you can buy, there's a piano store across the street. There's like, ten, there's a couple piano stores, you know, in the center of town, there's, you know, stores that just sell violins and cellos. I mean, we have like a lot of cool, um, you know, music schools here too, like the Mozart, Mozart's and, uh, music school. So yeah, I mean, it, this is a great place to be when it comes to the arts. I think we know where Matt's going to retire. Right, Matt? You're going to retire there. I'm I'm taking Alexander Hawk's riches to to travel out to buy records. (laughs) Now, do they they exploit the birthplace of Mozart like America would, too, where you got to pay $50 to look at it? It's a store. It's a store. A store? So, no, it's a store. So He lived in a store or it's a store after the fact? So his birth, you have his birth house. 
Yeah. You have uh, Mozart's Birthhouse, and then under it is like a grocery store. So you can technically, like, I don't know. It's I, you don't have to pay. Is what I'm saying. You don't you don't have to pay to go. I don't think you have to pay to see it. Do you have to pay to see Mozart's Birthhouse? Yeah. All right. Yeah. You, have you to walk pay to go through it, or but it, it's probably not that expensive. I would. Is it a walk through thing, or how much is it? Twenty euro. That's not that bad. I I feel like uh, I'd want like a pebble or some type of rock or something or something off the wall from from his house. That'd be cool to have. They watch. <laughs> yeah, out. I mean, I watched the. Uh, I actually watched the that film. I, what was it? It was Amadeus. Amadeus. Yeah, I watched Amadeus yeah. like a couple like a month ago or something because yeah. I like watching stuff like that now that I live here. Like it's kind of cool, you know. And. I, um, yeah, Amadeus just, is one of those movies where you, 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 every I, I, if I remember correctly, there isn't really a likable person in the film, and it's not even super historically accurate. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, um, and they didn't even film it in V. Like they filmed it, I think, in the Czech Republic. Yeah, but you got um, F, you yeah. got F. Murray Abraham in there. Not to get business talk on you, who I, I I appreciate him as an actor, but you always want to kill him in movies. You always want to strangle him. I'm very like naive when it comes to actors. That's the part. That's the uh, he's the older antagonist guy. in the film, right? Yeah, he's not the younger. He's not Mozart. He's like the dude that wants to crumble him. Okay. He's the, yeah. If that you remember, if you remember Scarface. He's the dude they hang out the helicopter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Who goes? I gotta. He goes. I gotta kill you faster than a buddy gets fucked. So that was kind of his big break then, <laughs> Amadeus. Yeah, yeah. No, the, like he, I said, he's a he's like a weird actor where he's really good. You know, like when you're a kid, like before I got into f- film and wanted to make film. As a kid, you see these actors in films, and they're like they play these these scumbags so you hate their guts and then you realize later in life they're just really good actors you know what i mean and there's a whole bunch of actors that i just like wanted to strangle dude as a kid and he's one of them because he always played like just like a like a dicky type character that you know, he always played like a villainy type dude because he had that look you know it's unfortunate for an actor you get you typecasted with that look you could be the complete opposite uh and just have to be that bad guy every time we have two hours well really we got we've had Everybody on this show right here has done a little acting. You know what I mean? When we brought up the famous uh, father before, uh, Jeff Berry, uh, the famous actor Jeff Berry in films like DJ Stan the Man and uh, the the uh, Dirty Larry, the the, un, the unmade Dirty Larry film. Um, but yeah, so. Germany, man, digging it. What, what's their primary religion over there? What are they? What's their deal? What's their belief? Actually, it's really interesting because um, they have to pay when they pay taxes. They pay tax. They how does that, Marlena? You have to pay taxes to the church, right? You have to pay to opt out of it, don't you? It must be Catholic, Germany, huh? but in Austria, in Austria too. So yeah, you have to pay like taxes. If you work, you pay taxes to the church, and you have to opt out of it. So you have to pay like a sum. Pretty sure you have to pay like an amount of money to opt out of it. But huh. I think that the primary religion here is Roman Catholic. Catholic is usually one of those only religions that could force you to pay as a part of taxes. Yeah. You got to pay your way into heaven, dude. You got to pay your way into heaven. 
I it's weird. Now you pay you pay for the pat the priest's way in heaven, all the bad things they do. It's a weird dynamic. Yeah, it's um it's it's pretty it's pretty uh pretty religious here, I would say. There's there's a lot of there's churches everywhere. I mean there's churches like when you go into a little village, they might have their main church and then they have a little like a little just hut, you know, alongside the road where people just go and pray, you know. So I mean, you can pray anywhere, I guess. Well, you you can without a hut. Anywhere you want, anywhere no. you want, you can always pray. It's a it's an interesting dynamic, you know. How's the violence down there? How's crime? Um, yeah, I mean, if something bad happens here, people like freak out because nothing ever really happens. We had the terrorist attack a couple months ago, like two months yeah. ago. I mean, that was the biggest. That was probably the the biggest. Um, Thing that's happened, you know, violent act of violence did that's it, happened here in a long did it really, time. Did it flip people's minds up? I mean, I know you were in America when 9 11 happened. I know you were kind of young, you, but you've seen the reaction they had with people. You saying that that was the biggest thing they seen. Did you see a reaction like that with them? Um, yeah, I mean, we were in, so we were in lockdown. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't, we never really, that was the thing. It was weird, right? We never really got to talk about it. Like, we never really got out and mingled. You know, nobody ever really expressed their feelings. That could be an issue, don't you think? But, but I mean, like, I mean, wise. yeah, I mean, on the news, we saw a lot of people talking about it and uh, and whatnot. I mean, personally, for me, yeah, it's kind of I think it's weird, right? As an, as an American, it's almost like when something like that happens, you're not super like shocked necessarily. Like you're kind of like you, you just, you know, that those things are, you know, happen, which is just super unfortunate yeah. I mean, because things, things like that happen all the time. But here, yeah. I mean, when, when, when the, when the terrorist attack happened, like Marlena's dad called and then, you know, cause he's a police officer and, um, you know, her, we, she called her sister and like, we were, you know, so there was a ton. Yeah. Like we had, we all kind of freaked out. Um, and it was a big, it was a huge deal. I mean, there's, there's, there was, they're prepared for stuff like that. I mean, of course, I mean, I think that they caught and killed the guy and like, I don't even think he made it two blocks, mm-hmm. but like, you know, yeah, definitely sh- it, it freaked everybody out um, as it, you know, as it, as it should, you know? Right. What's your take on the effects of, you know, like to go a little bit with that, the effects of how all these people are, you know, being shut in and they're not able to, you know, talk about these things as a society, uh, what that, and also your take on, you know, like these kids being not, not being in school, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think about it. I think about it kind of like, I mean, I don't, (laughs) I think about it a little bit like this. Like we, we, every now and again, like people have to do stuff they don't want to do um, for the greater good of, you know, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily me. It's not Marlena. It's not Marlena. It's not our friends. It's not, you know, maybe even you guys that are like those that are, you know, at risk necessarily, but it's, yeah. I mean, I just justify it in the sense, and I think a lot of people justify it in the sense where we all have people, we all have loved ones in our lives that are potentially, you know, in that risk category. And I don't want to be the person to potentially bring harm to them, but, but I think that, I mean, I think, um, 
Yeah, it's obviously horrible. I mean, no one likes this. I hate this. I mean, I I, I hate it type, just as much as anybody, you know? What type I, of damage do you think is being done to society, though, with this? I think, I mean, there's, pro- surely there's of probably... Outside yeah. yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess... I think there's, I think that there's actually benefits, but I think that there's obviously downsides as well. And I'll start with the benefits because I think that that's probably like the most like alarming response that you could possibly get right yeah. now. But um, I think the one of the benefits is that it really allows people to reflect on the things, the little things that matter in life. We 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 live in a lot. We live in a world where like there's so much constantly happening. And so it's very hard for us to stop, you know, stop going 100 miles an hour and think about, you know, those people in our lives that really matter, like our family, our kids, whatever it may be. And so for me, that's definitely a clear benefit. It's forced me to kind of like relax a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's forced me to like take things maybe less, like take a lot of things in my life less seriously, I guess, um, and, and focus on those little things that I maybe neglected, pri- you know, prior, but yeah, there's obviously bad side, you know, bad aspects of it too. Um, I, I, like, I, I, I want to go out and talk and socialize with people. This is something that, um, I mean, I'm a student as well. So I understand like what it's like to have these online lectures. And so something that I've noticed, I'm a pretty social person and I get really uncomfortable now when I have social interaction with people that I don't know. Yeah. So like if I'm in class and I have to ask a question, like my heart will start racing. I'm like, ah, I I hope that I, you know, I don't sound, you know, ridiculous or whatnot. And it's like that too, like with people that I run into on the street, if I haven't seen them in a long time or, you know, if I'm even in the grocery store and somebody asks me a question, like, I'm just kind of like, Oh my God, like, what do I do? Like, how do I interact with you? And um, I think obviously another negative is you see a lot of bad in people now. I think it's kind of highlighted like people's negative response is, is so much more like in the mainstream media than like the positive responses. So I think you just kind of tend to get sick of people quicker. I've noticed as well. Like I just don't have patience for a lot of people anymore. Those are are my struggles. So I'm sure that, everybody's failing those struggles, you know, and it, it goes with the being at home thing, you know, everybody's on edge, I think. So you have, you're, you have less patience with people. Expect so, the political world, you know, everybody's, that's crazy too. So everywhere you look with that, you know, you got stress. It's a weird vibe. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, I, the political things, like I don't even, I've never really got super involved. Yeah. Like in, I mean, it's so hard to avoid politically. Yeah, yeah, we we avoid it here on the show. It's impossible most of the time to like avoid politically loaded conversations, you know, because Corona, for you know, just Corona is a politically loaded conversation. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess that's another thing too. Like just being an American when Trump was in presidency here. I mean, everybody was just always like, oh, like you know, blah, blah. Like, what do you think? You know, did did you vote for him? Or like, and they judge, they make character judgments, you know, judgments off of you. Right. Based on that, based on that, it's like, uh, come on. It's like being back in America. Yeah. (laughs) Being back in America. 
all over again. Everyone, yeah, oh, everyone judges you on who you vote for now. Yeah, you, you gentlemen over there that are being quiet. I don't think I've ever asked you what's your opinion. Well, Ray, what's your opinion on the, uh, you know, the kids being out of school and the effect that that happened? You know, there's these young kids that aren't developing the way they should be, uh, you know, talking, playing, interacting with kids in, in real life. Um, what's your take on uh, the problem that that's creating? I think it's a real problem. I run into it when, yeah. uh, because I see my granddaughter weekly on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I run into it with her. She like misses her friends and things to do. And uh, their the whole social interaction thing, it's uh, something which I think in the long run is doing some damage. It's uh, putting, and the isolation is putting stress on the kids. I know for myself a little bit of the isolation thing. Um, you were talking earlier about uh, how people may look at you differently if you're an immigrant. My mother was an immigrant. She came to this country right after World War II from Italy. And the U.S. had to invade Italy to get to Germany and you had Mussolini and stuff. And when she first came over here and for quite a while afterwards, um, she picked up a lot of flack. And when she came over, she originally spoke uh, mostly Italian and some English. But um, she got around it. by uh, She eventually was able to speak five languages, got a master's from Brown University in foreign languages. So she fought back that way. But I can also remember times where um, she was talking with someone and I was actually there. And the guy was talking. They were talking um and this was at Brown University, and a person was talking with her and stuff. And she, was, she taught there for a while also. And he said, oh, that's good, but too bad you're Italian. Yeah. And I can remember growing up in the neighborhood that uh, kind of like the, the, little, the little jabs, like, oh, uh, you people never get sunburn. Mm. Oh, you're this, that, the other. Um, so, yeah, I was a little bit of an isolated child. I compensated because at one time, even though I forgot it all, I could also speak Italian, French, and Spanish. And I would associate with the people who could. Yeah. So it's not what as a child, what I did is I turned my back on a lot of the people that would say something, and I would hang out with the Italian kids or the French kids, um, had a Spanish girlfriend. And so I kind of gravitated away from those people that were pushing against me and just let them go their own way. But I became a lifelong introvert, I think, partly because of that influence. Yeah. That it didn't yeah. matter. She would, because when I was very young in the, in the 50s, that was right after the war, there was a lot of pushback. And that's where I think I got a lot of my introvert tendencies. And I don't necessarily think that's good for a lot of children now that are isolated. It may not be because of who they are or their parents are. But that isolation, they start turning inside a lot and they lose those social skills. And when uh, when or if society ever returns to what we would we once call normal and they start interacting, they'll I believe they'll have more problems with that. Because right yeah. now it's just very, very small. They've got their parents, siblings, if they're there, maybe grandparents. That is if like I try and stay active in uh, my daughter's my whole family, the kids, grandkids. I got, uh, 
I got four kids and three grandkids. And I try and interact with them. I try and keep that communication going. I try and uh, I'm completely open to them and interacting with them. But I can see changes in their personality the longer this goes on. And uh, I don't I don't think it's very healthy. I think that down the line, the problems may surface because they're not working things out in a normal way, interacting with other people and learning certain social skills. I think that may in, uh may inhibit their development down the line. Mm. Hawk, you were Mr. Popular in school. Now, if you were to take a, <laughs> if you were to take a, <laughs> yeah, if you were right. to take a kid, if you were to take a kid that might not have been as popular as you, would you <laughs> yeah. say, would you say, would, 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 would this be a, a benefit to them not having to go to school and just do it online? Or what do you, what you, you think that the, the, that, that group of kids are still being, damaged or you think it's almost a blessing in disguise for them what's your take on that well i mean it's (laughs) well it's funny because i if we went back in time to like when i was a kid in in the 80s and uh you told me all the you know stuff that we have now the video games and 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 all the technology, I would be like, oh my god, I can't wait till that becomes reality. It sounds so cool. Don't have to deal with, you know, going to school, getting picked on, don't have to deal with people I don't like, don't have to feel, you know, out outsided because, you know, I, I like comic books, I'm a geek. Um but it's funny because now that I'm older and I'm looking back and I, I never thought I'd ever say this, but I am so glad that when I was a kid that I did not grow up in, in this technology world that we live in. Yeah. Because it, because I mean, I see so many kids, now that they're always on their phones, they're always playing video games and all that, which, you know, yeah, as a kid, it's great and fun, but the social interaction isn't there. And unfortunately, it, even uh, for someone like me, who for the most part, you know, would enjoy just, you know, sitting back playing games and, and not dealing with people. I this entire year has taught me that even the limited amount of times that I deal with people, taking that away uh, really has impacted, you know, my feelings of, you know, just, you know, and just I feel so much more anxious, more stressful, more, you know, you know, on edge. Which, you know, I would have assumed that if someone told me this was going to happen, that it wouldn't bother me that much. Because, I mean, I hang out with friends, I do stuff, but I, I'm not a social butterfly. I don't go to parties on the weekends all the time. I don't, you know, run around. But even the limited amount of, you know, social interaction that I had on, on I would say, a semi-regular basis... The cutting down of that is really, you know, I I can only assume how it affects uh, someone who's a kid and who's 
you know, trying to develop. I mean, for someone at my age, which I'm 39, that, you know, I feel the stress. I can only imagine how that could affect someone who's in the middle of trying to become who they are. And being someone who's pretty much, I'm, I'm me, I'm going to be my way till, till I die how that has affected me and how I look at social interactions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing is that I think we as a society have to start interacting with people more on a social basis than we do. And, and technology a lot of times, you know, I mean, it was bad enough when I was in the 80s and you have the parents who were like, oh, you know, I'll just let, you know, Tommy sit down, watch TV and and that'll be his babysitter. But I mean, now the the, the babysitter is the phone. The kid can, you know, walk down the street on the phone and, and not interact with anybody. So I think a big thing is that I I hope that this has kind of brought to the forefront how important it is for people to interact with people on a personal and social basis. When things return, do you think it'll be bad? It'll be, you know, there'll be an appreciation and get back together where everybody will be friendly. I think bullying will, will zoom right back in the door with it. I mean, I, I, I so wish, wish I was an optimist. I really do. But Unfortunately, when when things get to a point where people say, oh, things are, are, are done, we can get back to normal, people want to go back in their old habits. They, they fall into their old habits. You're going to have a few people who will see what has happened, see what the, uh, what the response was, and then you know, try to better themselves or better society. But unfortunately... That's a very few people in in the dynamic of society, in my opinion, because a lot of people rather just, oh, it's all over, fine, I'll, I mean, it's, for example, it's like with 9-11, okay, 9-11 happened, uh, everyone, you know, pulled together, everyone was supportive, uh, how long did that last, you know, a few months? And then, 9/11, not what the support for nine eleven lasted maybe seven years, six or seven years. Well, well, I, I, what I mean is that the loving of of your your fellow man, okay, the the helping people out, the okay, my my neighbor had uh, had uh, you know someone they love yeah. dying, and and then they you know come over, they try to help their neighbor through it. How long did that happen before people like? You know, nine eleven. Okay, it happened a year ago. It happened seven months ago. So that's you know, go back in the old habits where I never talk to my neighbor. I don't help him out when he needs help. You know, yeah, well, it all depends on the person. I heard uh, comedian Joey Diaz tell a story earlier today about two days after nine eleven, a cop he 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 was he he his tire was four inches over a handicap line, and a cop gave him a ticket for four hundred bucks. And he was like, two days after the biggest tragedy in our country, you're going to do this to me? And it's kind of like, yeah, it, 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 it was a dark time type. But, yeah, it's weird. It depends on the individual, you know what I mean, to go with that thing right there. Because you have people you have people that are still affected, 
you know, whether they're family or friend or whatever. And they, they're still, it's still something to them. And yeah. you know what I mean? And but, then there's but, other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I agree with you, but I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, the whole yeah. thing is that the, the, you know, the, I know the, the, the wanting to help someone out, wanting right. to be there to, you know, build someone up or build up uh, the society. Unfortunately, I mean, like, you know, the comedian said, you know, like, you know, a few days, everyone wants to go back to normal. They want to go back to, you know, what they were doing before, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately that's, that's what I see is that you give anything, anytime, uh, anytime and people will either uh, forget or they just make themselves forget so they can do what they were doing before and not have any guilt. I mean, that's, I rem- that's what I see. Yeah. I remember the majority of the nine 11 camaraderie was like that lasted a couple of years. I mean, the fear, I mean, the fear, if you say that if people being cool together lasted maybe three, four years, the fear of it lasted maybe 10, 12 years, people were afraid of dying and getting blown up for like that, that affected people's minds for a long time. Still, but still that way. Still that way. You know what I mean? I would say so. I mean, I mean, there was, it was a weird time though. Nine eleven thing was a weird thing because it was like, you know, when nine eleven happened, you see an outrage against all middle Eastern people straight off the bat. You know what I mean? And you kind of seen, you seen, we seen that kind of over maybe, a 10 year progression kind of fate, fate, it kind of flipping away, you know what I mean? Where it went from, and I'm not saying that they should, um, you know, I remember them going into seven 11s and like beating people up, you know, pulling them over the counter and beating them up, maybe even killing them. And I'm not saying that was right. The right thing to do. Um, but I remember it was, it, it was a complete flip over like a 10 year thing where it went from, do beating, literally going in and ripping them out of their store and beating them up till, and then the flip it because it was kind of like, and then when when the Muslim thing came in and that became a big deal and it was all like we got to respect this. It was just kind of like a weird flip in that ten years of how it went. And I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. All right, I want to be perfectly clear with that. But there was a big flip from the the public's opinion. You know what I mean of Middle Eastern folks and, and their beliefs. In I don't know. Over I don't, know. I don't think. I don't think so. I mean, I think it's still su- super negative. I think. I think the public opinion is still very much so like anti, anti like Middle East, anti like. I mean, not not like you know. Again, not myself personally. I'm very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I hear you. I don't think. I don't think it's to the extent that people are like doing. You know, people aren't going into Seven Eleven anymore. Yeah, and like ripping right. people over the counter, or whatnot. But, well, Alex is, but but I mean, I, my I, generation. Like, I mean, I was, I was like a, you know, I was what like six six years old when Nine Eleven happened. I mean, right. we had cart, you know, there was cartoons on the news. There was like tons of stuff depicting oh, yeah. not just not just the Taliban, but like all of Middle Eastern culture as essentially this like negative thing, and yeah. so. I mean, that, I think that, that effect has lasted. I mean, I think that that effect will be here for a long, long time. Um, it's definitely but, mellow. I think it's mellowed for sure. I think it's I think mellowed. It's def- I think it's mellowed out, but I feel like this, the, the issue is, is like it mellowed out 
it mellowed out in that physical sense, you know, that physical sense of people might not necessarily act on it, but just, well, just like Ray yeah. was saying, words hurt sometimes more than punches do. Right. In the sense where, you know, people are, people still think about, you know, they might still look at that person differently. They might still consider that person differently, might not view them necessarily as an equal. And that is the, that's the problem. That's something I think has not changed. 9-11 does play a part in this whole travel thing because the travel definitely got a lot stickier after 9-11 for sure. But what would you no, guys... You need opinion? a passport to go to Canada yeah. <laughs> after 9-11. What's your guys' opinion on what me and Jeff just said? Well, uh, I think that a lot of that right after 9-11, there was the tragedy, but there was also prop- negative propaganda against the Muslims at that time. Yeah, um, and I've I've done some things and uh, where I tend to go searching on the internet or different things, and I came across one documentary about um, how like so-called enemies of the state are portrayed, and they showed old clips uh, in World War Two and yeah. the terminology and the cartoons they used against the Japanese and against the Germans. So as soon as someone attacks there's a certain segment of society that's going to throw that up there and demonize them. And it's going to make them, make them, uh, much worse. Uh, so that you're not really looking at the few that may have done something. Yeah. Now you're looking at a whole group, whether it be a country or an ethnic group, and you're looking at, at the larger thing and condemning them. And as long as we keep throwing that out in the media, as long as we keep throwing that out at people, they're going to start taking it in, taking it in, and that's how they're going to start seeing things. So it can be it can be 20 years later, and uh, a lot of the world could have changed, but they're still going to see it the way it was shoved, basically shoved down their throat endlessly during the crisis or for afterwards. Those images are going to stick, and they're going to try and put those images out there in a way that they will make them stick. And down the line, there will be some people that will manipulate that to try and keep it going because they have their own agenda. Yeah. I mean, that propaganda thing we've talked about David Koresh before, you know, in, in Waco and how, uh, you know, the, you know, for the longest time, you know, there was, there was, there was talks of how he was like having sex with the kids at the compound. And I think they, they, they recently kind of came out and said that that was, that he wasn't having sex with the kids. That was all kind of, you know, that's one of those things that whenever there's a cult leader or like weird, and I'm not on the side of cult leaders, of course, but like whenever there's like somebody rising up or somebody like a rebellious dude that they think is a threat, they're very quick to throw pedophile at him or something like that. You know, a lot of people will say with Matt Michael Jackson, you know, regardless of what whoever feels, whether he molested the kids or not, a lot of people kind of feel like that was thrown on him um, and that wasn't exactly real. You know what I mean? That was just something that uh, to kind of fuck him up, you know, because I mean, realistically, there's very few worse things that you could be kind of accused of in this world. You know what I mean? That's just you really want to yeah. you really want to fuck somebody's life up. You know what I mean? You drop that on them. You ruin their fucking ruin their weekend. You know what I mean? Well, if you want someone to remain as, as an enemy, or if you want yeah. to get control over somebody, the tag you put on them portrays them as less than human, or less than what society considers humane. 
So whether that's pedophile or whatever else it may happen to be, once you put that tag on them, other people go, oh, they have to be bad if they're that. Yeah. So you're Paint controlling your through information. Yeah. yeah. And I think a big reason why, I think a big reason why, like, this isn't going anywhere, right, is because somebody always has to be considered, I mean, America is a super nationalistic country. It's crazy how nationalistic it is. And you don't realize how nationalistic it is until you leave and then you see it from the outside. And like, I mean, it's crazy how nationalistic it is. Um, we have recruiters coming into our school, recruiting for our military. Right. That's, that's like weird in some, that's weird in some countries. That's really that's weird. Bowl, in like Western countries, that's weird. And, um, but the thing is, is like America always needs an enemy. Because America expresses its power and expresses its might militarily. And so we will always, you know, we're going to have video games that have to portray some, you know, an enemy. And unfortunately, like you look at most of the video games that kids are playing today and, you know, who, who are they fighting? They're fighting poor Middle Easterners with AK, running around with AK-47s. And those video games are training. Those are training for future soldiers, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's actually, there was a study done, and I, again, I don't have it, like, available off, yeah. offhand. Um, it, it tried to track, like, essentially military, like, you know, um, effectiveness in combat by wars. And more soldiers have sh- shoot to kill now than ever before. Yeah. So, like, it's a result of this psychological programming. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it, it, if you can turn war into a video game, you know, You're people don't think there. about it as much. Well, that's the thing. You think yeah, that we'll ever see... Sensitizes, yeah. It does. Do you think that we'll ever see a future war where it is like a video game type atmosphere, where it's almost like a Pacific Rim type situation where people get into these these suits or these whatever and something something that isn't a human life to be lost? But I also think that, you know, when we go to war, I think that's also fair. That's fair propaganda, propaganda against its own people because they don't want their kids going off the war. You know what I mean? So they'll fly straight more and not put up not put up a, a fight really and just kind of go with the flow because they don't want it. Your typical work workhorse American person that runs, that keeps America running. They want an easy, smooth life. They don't even want a great life. They want an easy, smooth life. They want to get to the finish line, happy, all in one piece with their, their loved ones cared for. That's all they care about. You know what I mean? I think you're going to say something. Yeah. Yeah, if you're looking at, uh, like you, you were saying, kind of a sanitized war, we're heading that way any, anyway with the technology, the drone strikes, the missile things. You're taking the person who is doing the killing away from the target. It makes it much more impersonal Yeah, um, away from the target. Um, during World War II, my father was a navigator, uh, I think it was in uh, Flying Fortress. Oh, mine was an explorer. And he uh, flew all, fortunately, obviously, so survived all those missions. And he served the rest of the time um, on the ground doing various things. But you, even he got a different point of view when you, you know, took off from England and you dropped some bombs and you saw flashes. But then later on in the war, when you went into the cities and you saw what was done, yeah. it had a different impact when you see it. We're taking that out of warfare. 
Now it is like, oh, uh, you got a drone here. You've got a missile here. You've got all these things you're doing at a distance and you're not seeing that enemy, which uh, has been demonized, but you're not seeing the carnage that's happening. Yeah. And it makes war easier, which is yeah. a sad thing. Like I say, with weather, I think weather, like the harp and the weather machine deal is the future of war where they can just drop, you know, manipulate the weather to create a tornado to rip through a town and kill whatever they need or, you know, tidal wave to wipe out, wipe out a city. Uh, then they don't have to, they don't have to be, you know, take blame for killing off these people, but they're definitely benefiting for these people not being there type deal. You know? I think, I mean, I think wars might be even more like economically focused at this point yeah. too. I mean, we're such a globalized, it's every, it's such a globalized world at this point, global economy that yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's why I think a war with China would just be so ridiculously and like so ridiculous because I feel like the dependence is so high that it's just, well, uh, it just can't taking, happen. <laughs> like, taking that take, what would be your stance on China sending over a COVID-19 to cripple our economy by shutting down everybody's workforce? What's your take on that? I don't know, man. I mean, the, the whole like COVID, the whole COVID thing, and and where it almost came makes from sense. And, almost, almost, almost kind of makes sense a little bit. And what it, it's like, I just, ah, oh, it's like so hard to, you know, I don't want to feed into the conspiracy. You know what I mean? The conspiracy. Well, thing. you know, I hear you. Sometimes when it makes when when it feels good, do it. That's what we say. Like, tells yeah. The I curtain. mean, there's there's some there's some that are just like blatantly ridiculous. You know, like the whole like Bill Gates thing is absurd. What you about know? the killing off the world? I yeah, like Population the, whole, like, chip, the chip thing, the chip thing. Well, the chips um, in the bibble. It's in the bibble, son. Um, you got to call Nano Nano up on that one. I don't know. I mean, I think I don't. I haven't looked into the World Health Organization report, but I yeah. I, I think that uh, I mean I've heard from friends that I trust, you know, regarding this you know yeah. this type of information that that they didn't really um, they were just kind of going, they couldn't really do a full investigation to the standards that they wanted to Like all the information that they had at their disposal was given to them by the Chinese government and like nothing and nothing more was really provided. And so they just kind of like, supposedly they said that um, they don't know if it escaped from a lab, but like they can't really prove like, but they're just going it, to, it, but it didn't. Um, not that it was, but they, they know for a fact it wasn't like engineered in the sense of like as a bioweapon. They just think yeah. that, you know, if I think the most plausible explanation would be if it happened to, you know, somehow escape from a lab, it would have been, you know, maybe they were just being sketchy and they had noted they, had, you know, it had maybe passed from person to person. They were like, all right, we need to get an idea of what this is. And then yeah. somebody got sick and went home to their family. You know what I mean? Like that seems, that seems like the more plausible explanation because I don't think it's, I, I highly doubt that it's, uh, you know, engineered. I think at this point we would know if it was a bio. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than so. myself that, yeah. that study this virus, you know, and, and, but if they were going to, if they were going to use it again in the future, they wouldn't tell you about it now. You know I, just, what I, mean? I don't see that. I, but look at, I mean, look at it. Look at, look no, at I, I uh, hear you. I can see, I can see a, valid points on both sides of the argument. I like to do the devil's advocate thing. Yeah. I just think a bio, I think like a, a weapon <coughs> like this, Yeah, no one really wins. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, you can't. And, it, and if, 
Somebody if, you, if you really, if you really sketchy, if uh, you know, if, for example, if China had this plan and they did happen to, you know, release this virus, then why did you know? I mean, their numbers are so skewed. I think I'm sure that they lost tons and tons of people from right. the virus. I mean, very, if they, very proud country, very proud yeah, country. I don't know. I don't know. It's my my take on it as a as a philosophy student, as somebody who's like my primary focus in school is epistemology, the theory of knowledge is if I don't know, if I don't know what I'm talking about, if there's not enough evidence regarding um, one particular, anything necessarily, I just kind of withhold judgment. I don't, I don't, I don't have like a, I I don't even really ponder, I don't even really ponder conspiracy theories that much because I'm just kind of like, Oh, I mean, it's just so ludicrous. A lot of these, I love the question. Everything like it starts, they all start with like some pretty like good, you know, they, they usually all start with some oh, yeah. decent information and then they just go in ridiculous directions. It's like, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, you know? yeah. it's For like sure. the, Bill, the Bill Gates thing. Yeah. It's like, do you really think that, you know, do you really think they'd be giving um, a vaccine with a, with a, with a microchip to a 95 year old woman in a nursing home? It probably costs like a mil, you know, hundred, a couple hundred thousand million dollars a dose. No way. Would, <laughs> I, I believe that they would, they would give, they would not give them a microchip, but you know, give them whatever they need, and then give who they want to give the microchip to. You know what I mean? I believe that. But that's like possible. First, like the first wave of vaccines yeah, is uh, to to gain public trust. Alexander Hawk just got a shot today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the public trust thing is something, yeah, they need to gain back. This Them giving out stimulus checks is trying to get people to like them again. That's that, that's the whole deal with that. I haven't got but, mine yet, so, you know, I'm, I'm waiting until I get mine to, to like uh, them again. You're born with a <laughs> handsome face. That's all you get. Oh, all you in get, that case, boy. I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, with the conspiracy, the theories, though, are interesting. Like I said, we always like to discuss things here. But I think, yeah, like we like the devil's advocate. And you, there's a lot of interesting stuff within it. And yeah, there is, a, you know, th- theories do get far blown and to the point of complete ridiculous and absurd. But there's definitely some ones that uh, aren't that hard to wrap your, your mind around being a reality. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the biggest trick with conspiracies is, I mean, I believe there are conspiracies out there, but there's also... You know, just regular coincidences or right. things that, and if if you go crazy looking at, you can find you know conspiracies in anything, and any and and if you look too much into different things and making connections that really don't lead uh, to anything, just you know keep on going upon themselves. So yeah, the but- trick is you have to you have to look at everything critically. I mean, I always believe that. There's stuff always going behind the scenes, but you have to look uh, critically at each thing and try to not go on like these crazy, you know, sidesteps like Bill Gates with you know the microchips and the vaccines. I mean, come on, hasn't anyone ever heard of cell phones? If they want to track you, that's how they're going to track you. Well, right not to, not to mention too, a lot of these people like they use as. I mean, I know people that use as evidence the fact, like, we know people that work in Novartis, for instance. And, um, 
I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have people tell us that, um, oh, like, it's got to be happening because Bill Gates had a meeting with, uh, you know, the executives of Novartis last week, like a Zoom meeting. But it, all it takes is a simple Google search to find out all of the companies, all of the companies, the pharmaceutical companies that the Bill Gates, you know, the, the foundation has donated to and the amounts that they've donated. And it's like, well, maybe that's the more plausible explanation that if you're going to give somebody $80 million for whatever cancer research or something, you'd want to, you know, have at least a conversation with them. Yeah. Via Zoom. Like, for sure, yeah, just, for sure. So, but the other thing is, it's like a lot of these conspiracy theories, it's like, yeah, of course, it, of course, there's some that are like intelligent, you know, it's, it's, yeah. We're not, it's, it's not to say that some of them are just ridiculous, but yeah, I feel like it undermines a lot of, I feel like a lot of them just blatantly undermine a lot of people, right? It's like you have a lot of, you know, it's like people like me and you, it's, or you and I, it's, it's, um, you go to college for eight years and a lot of people really have good intentions. I mean, a lot of people, you know, yeah, there's people that are just money hungry, like, you know, mad scientists potentially, but a lot of people have good intentions. They really want to make a difference. And so yeah. if you're studying these things and you see something fishy, why wouldn't you whistleblow it? You know, for sure. You know, the bill, the thing with Bill Gates is, uh, the, the, the fishy thing about him is I think his father, I believe was like one of the founders of Planned Parenthood. And, um, I think he's, Bill Gates is big on, um, population control. Now, population control is, is an issue. I mean, there's so, there's, we're eventually going to run out of room. Like, it's an actual issue, but, but I, and I do feel that powers that would be in a position to do such a thing, looking out for their bloodlines in the future, I think would, would figure out maybe a way to minimize, you know, minimize some people on the earth, you know, like some older folks that may, they feel might not be of use. You know what I mean? The same way, you know, they would speculate and say that the, the HIV virus was made to take care of, you know, some, some of the black, black community and, and gay community. You know what I mean? Some people speculate that, you know, I, I would never put it over, uh, over the old, over the powers that be to kind of, you know, to quote Batman, you know, break a few eggs to make, to make, uh, scrambled <laughs> eggs or whatever. What's the line, Huck? Can't make oh, an omelet without breaking some eggs. Yeah. yeah. Making an omelet uh, without breaking a few eggs. I mean, the thing is and that. Then I punched the mask. Yeah. When, when, when you have people in power, people with, yeah, you know, they always want to keep the power, and and I believe that you know that nothing is beyond you know uh, you know them doing it or even thinking about doing it. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, for any true conspiracies, you got to believe that there's a lot of people working together, and right. there are some some of that that does happen, but there's also as we've been talking about where there's no conspiracy. It's just, you know, either coincidence or like, you know, yeah, Bill Gates uh, donated to all these companies. And one of these companies happened to be the one that's connected to, you know, this, uh, this outbreak. And the thing is, if you keep going down, I'm sure you'll find a whole dozen other people that could have, you know, been involved that also talked to a whole different bunch of uh, different pharmaceuticals. The thing is that 
you have to, I mean, you just have to dig deeper and, 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 and fact check. And there's a lot of times where someone says, oh, I think this person is involved in that because, okay, they were here and they talked to this person. And you're like, yeah, but if you look at the dates, this happened after this happened. So it doesn't make sense. But a lot of the times, uh, from what I've seen, is a lot of people just jump to the quick answer like, oh, he talked to this person, you know, they're in cahoots and they were behind this happening. But if you look at the dates, you know, it happened after or it happened at a different point, which doesn't make sense in the chronological uh, situation of how things have to happen for this to happen, you know, as, as examples. I mean, you have to always try to fact check what's going on and also go by the dates of when oh. things happen. Yeah. You know? Well, the, the, with Billy, it's like, you go, okay, look, this dude's got, you know, he's one of the most successful people in the world, probably, you know, up there. There's more people successful, but he's up there. It's like, uh, his bloodline will never have to worry about money. They'll always have a great life. And now knowing that, would he would he want that? To, would he want his bloodline to be around forever to have that good life? Of course, you know what I mean. And then from that point, you have to ask yourself: Now, do you think he's the type of person that would do something that was dark to to make sure that his family had that, or, or is he a righteous person that would just kind of do the deal? And then you add in the other things and. You know, who's to say he could be the great guy? You know, he could he could be a you know he's probably he's probably just a puppet for whoever else would be doing the deal. You know, like I think Alexander Hawks behind all this shit, and then he's Bill Gates. <laughs> yes. I am the great puppet master. I have Jeff Bezos on this hand. I have Bill Gates on the other, and I make them dance at my will. Dance puppets, dance. <laughs> We don't we don't encourage drinking on the show. Some people like to do it. We don't do it. I I, I only I only drink when I'm not on the show, <laughs> which tells you how much he drinks. So, guys, where do you think travel is going to be in the future? You know what I mean. I know that there's been there's been talks of it being a troublesome thing, troublesome nature in the future. Um, you know, there, there's all different types. Let's start. Let's start with the the, the smallest travel, I guess, with, which is what we deal with the most every day. Your commute, your typical commute back and forth within your own cities and such like that. Whether it's going to see a maybe a sporting event or a concert, or just getting out to walk Harvard Square. How do you guys feel that'll be changed? Your typical regular just out on the town evenings because of what's going on in the future. What do you think? That's a good question. No, I mean, I, I think that, um, I mean, for me, I don't really have like a, I don't think I have a good answer because no. I moved to a new city anyway. So, I, well, no, I just think that, I mean, how would my travel in Abington be affected? Yeah. Probably not that much because I just, I would still drive everywhere, you know, but now, right. now I'm almost, for, I'm forced to use public transport because I don't have a car. But at the same time, I mean, I walk everywhere. I never take a bus, really. I mean, I take maybe once every couple of months will I take the bus. But other than that, I mean, I walk everywhere. I ride the bike everywhere. And I think that, I mean, at least I've, what I've noticed is 
I mean, this, I don't know. It seems like Europeans are a bit more, at least Austrians in cities, in big yeah. cities, are at least a bit more like inclined to commute via bike or, or just, or walk anyway. Like, and people are really big on public transport because they have really good public transport in, in Europe. Like it's, yeah. there's nothing, I can't think of an, I can't think of an example that would compare in the United States. Like we have, you can go anywhere via bus, via train. Like it's just, it's really easy. It's really simple. And um, so I don't know how like much the, I don't know if the travel will change much here. I, I think that the biggest thing is they force you to wear, you know, you're required to wear a mask, but there's no, there's not necessarily any like further restrictions on transport. I mean, there's no limit to how many people can be in the bus as long as the bus, I mean, within reason, I think yeah. it's the same as before, but everybody has to wear a mask and same with the trains and same with, I mean, hell, even airplanes, like you see people, you see people on airplanes. I mean, the airplanes are pretty packed. When I flew here, it was pretty, it was pretty packed. It yeah. was most, I mean, most, I think most of the seats were sold out. Really? I had, I had, I was fortunate enough to have a whole section on my own, but there was, yeah, I mean, there was people, there was people next to me in the middle row and in the other rows. I think they were trying to be a little bit more conscious, you know, conscious of uh, putting people right next to each other if they weren't family, but yeah, yeah, that wasn't, I was just lucky. I think, I just think nobody bought my seat, the seat next to me. You think they put a reserve on it so people can't buy the seat next to you, or you think it was just the luck of the draw? I don't think they put a reserve on it. I feel like the airlines are too greedy for that. I feel like they lost too much money. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know unless there's some regulation in place. But I don't think that, I don't know if there is. I think that um, I think that I mean, who knows? I feel like in the future, I don't know how it works right this second, but at least when I. At least when I flew, um, it was pretty like spoken of in the community that um, you had to have a test to board the airplane, which wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, but everybody told, and, and it was very it varied because sometimes the air they would require a test, yeah. so you had to show them a test or you couldn't get on the plane. And this was just like their policy, mm. um, and so and it seemed like they were. Sometimes they were enforcing it and sometimes they weren't because I had people in the, there's an American group. There's an English speakers group here in Salzburg and also in Vienna that I'm a part of. And um, yeah, like I posted in the group days before and said, yeah, I'm traveling. And like, what were your experiences at the airports and and getting on the planes and what should I be prepared? You know, what should I be prepared to, to deal with essentially? And, do I need a test? Because I, I, it doesn't really say conclusively anywhere what you do need. I mean, that's kind of the nightmare about it. Right. And so I got a test and I, I like got a test and it was really stressful. I mean, you only have 40 because that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue. You have 48 hours. You have to get a test that it has to be valid by the time you land in the country that you're going to. So, and they give you 48 hours. So you have to plan that. And it's so hard to even get a test. It's, at, at least it was when I did it in September. It was so hard to get a test at that time. I think I had to like go to a medic, like an express clinic or something and pay like $170 for, for a test. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was like just valid. Like I had to, I got to Vienna 
No one looked at the, no one looked at the test, which kind of bothered me. No one looked at the test yeah. at, at, in uh, Frankfurt. So no one looked at this test the whole time. And then like two days later, when I reported to the magistrate to change my address um, in Salzburg, they wanted the test. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like governments and airline companies and everything, like they just, I think they were having, they were kind of confused on the, what was the best kind of way to um, go about doing this. And I feel like it's just in some ways, it's just really hard to kind of keep track of it, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's changed. It was a nightmare when I did it. It was like really stressful. And I think that that's probably the biggest, it wasn't hard. Like thinking back now, like it wasn't even that big of a deal, but the emotional stress coming into the flight and like while I was on the plane was, was great. And then all said and done, it was just, I was like, why was I even worried? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the fear, they put the fear in you, homie. That's why you're worried. You think the future, I'm thinking like ticket prices are going to go through the roof. You think the future of travel, air travel will be, you know, fewer people, more space, but you'll be paying double that ticket price, you know, almost, you almost get to a point where, uh, the only people that will be able to, uh, travel will be the ones that can, you know, yeah. afford that luxury, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, that's what they would, they were saying that, right? Like last year, everybody was saying that, like ticket prices are going to skyrocket. And I haven't really seen tickets. I don't think that they're that much more expensive than they were, to be honest. I feel like, I mean, I can fly home. The, for me to fly from Europe to America, it's cheaper than me, me to fly from America to Europe. That's always been the case. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but that's just always the case. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be more expensive. I don't know. I mean, I think the big, I think what it comes, I think it comes down to a lot of things. I feel like air travel was getting more expensive anyway before COVID because yeah. there was that push for being more eco-friendly. Right. And so, you know, they were charging you more money because they were putting more pollutants into the air. So they kind of wanted you to kind of, um, at least that's the way that I took it. I want they, you were kind of compensating a little bit so the airlines could be a little bit more eco-friendly, I think. I don't know if they were using, I don't know how they were doing that, but you were kind of t- taking up some of that cost for once. And, um, supposedly. Yeah. And I don't He's know. He's done I mean, paper. He's done I, paper. I think that, I mean, I have a friend who works for actually a company here in, in Austria and, yeah. um, like they're thinking about bringing back the, uh, the Concord, the Concord. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. The big plane. There. Like the supersonic, like you could fly from like, you could fly from uh, London Heathrow to like JFK, I think, in like four hours or something. Like Flight of the Concord. Four, yeah, four hours, three hours. I'm not sure, but I think that will be kind of something new. Is like you'll have more super, you'll have like quicker options. Yeah, like and then, the, the shuttle. Uh, Isn't there? Like, are they de- developing some like super super train that can get people from you know East Coast to West Coast in like three hours? I have no idea. I, don't I think know. they're developing something that's just like, woof. I mean, anything's a super train compared to the red lines. So, <laughs> Oh, come on. Don't be so hard on the red lines. I came here and the, the trains here are so quiet. They don't shake. It's like, you know, you can sleep if you want to. And I remember Marlena came to, when she came and visited, I think last March it was, or maybe it was in February. 
might have been December of 2019. But the first thing she noted, like we got on the uh, red line and she was like scared. She's like, what the hell is going on? Like, why is this train so loud? I'm like, yeah, they don't, they don't even, I don't know if they keep up with this at all. I don't think like, I think that they pay people to fix it, but they just don't fix it. Um, I was like, welcome to Massachusetts where we pay a ton of taxes. I know. You're lucky if the people driving are paying attention. (laughs) You'd be happy you're just not dying at the end of the trip. Everything's put together with duct tape, probably. I've heard, I've heard about some questionable, questionable folks that have worked for the trains. Let's just say you, 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 when you hear about some of these people, you, you, you feel good that it's that the, the machine pretty much runs itself. They're just there uh, for that last last resort. You know what I mean? They're they're there to hand out the fucking milk and cookies halfway through the <laughs> halfway through the ride. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's good inter- international as far as he's big going all over the world, like this gentleman with us right here. I think that'll probably get very difficult. Probably get very difficult, if not very expensive. A lot of hoops you'll have to jump through at least for a while. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, they're thinking about the passport thing, like kind of like the um, what the vaccination passport or something. I think that like might be a thing at some point. The mark of the beast. <laughs> like you. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean. It, I think that, I mean, I try to be optimistic in the sense where I think that it will probably get back to normal at some point. Like it will there. I, I hope there will be a point where, you know, five, four or five years from now, we're just kind of like, um, this was almost like a blur. I mean, it's a, you know, it's never going to be, we're always going to remember it. Of course. And, It'll be, it um, will be a blur though. It kind of will be a blur. I agree with you that it, people will remember it happening, but people won't remember what's happening, what happened during the time. Cause it was all a bunch of the same stuff in a blur. You know what I mean? Um, Stuck in your house. Yeah. I mean, media going crazy. Yeah. I just think there's going to be a time in like the next couple of years where we're all just going to be sitting in a bar or like some other, like, super busy place with hundreds of people around us and we're, we're just, yeah, maybe. And we're not going to have masks on and we're not going to be practicing social distancing and we're going to, we're just going to be having fun and we're just going to realize like, you know, it's going to be like an, uh, like an afterthought, like we're going to go home and it's going to be like a, a potentially maybe even a hungover reflection in the morning. Like, Oh shit. Remember like two years ago and we couldn't do this three years ago and we couldn't do this. But I mean, that's what I hope, of course. I don't know what this new normal is going to be. And it always kind of freaks me out almost when they, when they bring up this idea of the new normal, because it's like, how long do you expect? It's like, it's almost like every day is the new normal for a yeah. lot of people. But like, how do you, how do you anticipate what is happening right now? How can you say that that's going to, this is still going to be normal in five years? It, it just seems. The they got the script, man. <laughs> They know what they know. They 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 read that far ahead of the book. You know what I mean? It's a weird thing, though. Yeah, no, it's all they they can do it because they're gonna set the rules. Even if the rules don't need to be that at that there at that place, they're still gonna abide them and still follow through with them. They set their plans, and the plans usually have an agenda in them. So that way, they can push that agenda no matter what. So if they yeah. wanted to make travel cut down travel. I'm not saying COVID's you know big agenda thing, but you want to <laughs> you want to cut down well, people running all over the place, keep track of people. You're gonna want to definitely make minimize their ability to go wherever they want, wherever they want, whenever they want to go. You know. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm no, like, I'm no political science major. I don't really understand the, I don't really necessarily understand the EU from, like, a beyond, like, be, I have the basic understanding of what the EU is and stuff like that, but um, I don't really, like, understand it in a deeper way, you know. And, we but all, everybody I think here one, and Harvard. me and Mal Alexander Hawker. But, but one thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say one thing that's interesting, I think, is the is um, the way that COVID has like kind of affected the EU like mentality, because the EU is very much kind of built upon this idea of like free movement. Right. So like right. the EU is, yeah, everybody lives, everybody's born and lives in in their own country. Like if you're from Austria, you're Austrian. If you're from Germany, you're German. If you're from England, you know, I mean, they're they're out now. But if you were at one point or another a year ago, two years ago from England, you were from England. And you could nonetheless like you could just decide, oh, I'm just going to move to Germany. And it really wasn't that hard. It was kind of like me moving to California, you know. Yeah. And I think what I think what. um Corona, like the lockdowns have done and stuff, is it's a lot of these governments are now in a position where they're enforcing a lot of like their own protocols and regulations into a little bit more freely, I think, than than the EU previously would have allowed. So it's like yeah. I I don't know. It's I'm curious to see how this is going to affect the EU long term. Like the idea behind the EU, like kind of the 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 the, the um you know, those kind of those tenets that prop it up yeah. in many ways, like how are governments going to react to immigration to like, even with like within the EU, I'm not even talking about like um, refugees or anything. That's a completely separate issue. But I'm talking about like, how are, how are EU individual EU countries going to res- respond to immigration from other EU st- uh, members? And it's like, like, I don't know. I, the other the other implication is, of course, the fact that Great Britain just left. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird time. I wonder if the EU. I, w- I would like. Obviously, I'd like for the EU to be here for for a long, long, long time. But it's. I'm curious uh, how long the EU is going to be. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the EU is going to like in in a, in a hundred years. Who knows where what the EU is going to look like? And I feel, but I feel like this is kind of a a, a point. That's very pivotal, pivotal for the yeah. EU. Oh, I agree. You know what I mean? It'll be curious to see where I think everything's going to get real tough. Uh, get a little worse before it gets better type situation. Alex, I see you over there in the corner. You want to <laughs> comment on any of this? Or Ray, you see? Ray, you're awfully quiet over there. <laughs> I think Ray took a nap. But um, anyway, yeah, I mean... The thing is that the the real question, like the real question that everyone keeps on, what is going to be this, you know, uh, new normal? And and the thing is, I think this term new normal is kind of, you know, like a a blanket term used to try to, you know, say, oh, you know, pretty much saying that things aren't going to go back to the way things were. And uh, and a lot of things are going to change, whether it's it's been all orchestrated or whether you know they're just uh, 
taken advantage of uh, what has happened and then, you know, use that as an excuse to, you know, put forward their their own wants and desires. I mean, when it comes to uh, travel, I mean, I, I mean, I usually do public transportation in, in uh, Boston and all that. And I literally haven't been on the train uh, since all this stuff has happened. So I don't know what kind of uh, new rules or regulations they put on it. I can tell you that in the good old days when I used to do it, they, you know, pack you in like sardines and uh, social distancing was uh, not a a high um, uh, probability. So I don't know what they've done because I haven't been on the train since all this stuff has happened. It's going mean, to be trouble. It's going to be you're going to be waiting. It'll be you know it'll be it'll be the equivalent to us. Me and me and Alexander went to the Bull Moose store recently, <laughs> one of our favorite stores in all the land to go buy records and movies at. We yeah. pulled up. There was like three people in the store. They made us wait outside in the freezing cold. I died like four times for like <laughs> 45 minutes. Yeah, I had to cut them open like a tauntaun and crawl inside. Massage my heart to get me going yeah. again. <laughs> but um, I think it'll be something like that. It was so like, it was almost to the point of a joke. You know what I mean? There was There was like, there was more employees working there than there were people shopping in the store. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like ridiculous. And it's like, you almost felt like they were playing a game with you, which you'll see a lot of that. You'll yeah. see a lot of game playing by people that up until COVID got shitted on their entire uh, professional career. And now they can actually do some shitting back. You know, you'll see that like, the, you know, I, you know, it was fun. I'll leave it at that. It was fun. Bull Moose. I got some nice records at the Moose. I got some nice <laughs> frostbite and uh, you know, what can you do? Yeah. We had to amputate his big toe. We had to cut it off. I got to make a lot of good jokes that night. That <laughs> uh, made, he that made a lot of jokes. Out. None of them were good, but he made a lot of jokes. No, it was good stuff. <laughs> the guy but, that I was making him about liked him. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's the pain, so, yeah. right? It's like waiting, waiting in store, waiting outside of stores is is something that yeah, it sucks. But so it's like the future, though. I mean, that's that's where I think things are going. It'll be a lot more inconvenience things. Well, I mean, the thing is, honestly, I think uh, this is like the mask is an inconvenience, but we do yeah. it. We do it for the benefit of everybody else. I think it's more terrible inconveniences coming that we don't but, really need, but it makes people feel, quote unquote, safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, the thing is that now going going with the whole thing of forcing people wait in line and all that. Yeah. Now, thing is, I, I think uh, for the most part. After you know COVID hit and all that, uh, there, there's old uh, term where you know, um, you know, you, you when opportunity knocks, you grab it, and and I think uh, the corporations have done that. They've, I mean, I look at CVS and and they've been pushing the online orders for a while, but you know what? It never really took off. Okay, I mean, it was always there. But it wasn't a huge thing. As soon as COVID hit, now we got, like, so many, like, I'm talking about 150, 170 orders, like, per day, at least, that we have to fill their online orders, okay, through CVS.com. Now, the Name thing dropper. is... 
Yeah. Well, anyway, the thing. Yeah. Well, the thing is that I really think that a lot of corporations are using, you know, COVID as a as a, a scapegoat to put in a lot of these things, like forcing you to wait in long lines. You know, making it more difficult for you to go into the store. It's a lot longer. People get frustrated. Forcing people to go online. I mean, that's what I think a lot of corporations want. They want it's a control people. thing. Yeah, even well, in a even in a small even in a small amount, it's control. You know? Yeah, it's a control thing. But the whole thing is that if they can force it, that you decide not to ever go to the store, that you just buy everything you need, food, you know, toilet paper, whatever, from online, and not bother going to the store, the stores are gone. You get right. rid of that. That that takes care of so much money, uh, less people you have to uh, pay to have the store open, less people you have, uh, you, you have to worry about actually having, you know, um, uh, rent for the stores themselves. Right. You know, I mean, it's... Thing is, uh, I mean... Then, of course, uh, like in my store, when this happened, uh, up to this point, they've always talked about bringing in self-checkout, but they haven't until I was told that they're going to start doing this April because it kind of gives – because more and more people are writing in and complaining about the lines. about So by doing that, you bring in self-checkout, you're able to cut back the uh, employee's workforce uh, by – um, so it's it's killing you like with paper cuts, you know. They're yeah. cutting back this, they're cutting back that, and before you know it, you know everything's going to be online. And then you you're know, depending on them. Then you're solely, you're solely, wholly, heartedly depending on yeah, them to take yeah. care of you. And and the whole idea of going into a store to buy stuff, to browse, all that, that's going to probably end up being a a thing of of a bygone era that everything's going to be online. Yeah, but we knew this, though. This isn't a surprise. I mean, this has been in the yeah, last I mean, few years. Yeah, Amazon yeah, it's, is it's, like Amazon itself. Like, just the fact that Amazon is the company that it is today goes to show that, like, most people, like, a lot of people want to do their shopping online. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and it's like these companies, right? Like, it's not, I don't think that, I understand, like, some people, right? Like, the individual managers or individual employees might be kind of power driven and, like, enjoy. They, they might, take some excitement, you know, take some enjoyment from the fact that they're like, you have to wait outside for another 10 minutes or 15 right. minutes or 45 no, no, minutes. No, not really. But, no, I know, but I mean, some, maybe like that one person, I, I don't know. But um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think that the stores as well, like everybody, I think a lot of people want normality again, right? I think a lot of stores want normality again. I mean, right. they're, they're losing money. They're losing a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. And if they, so it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that ordering stuff online, is an inevitable. It's just gonna. Sure. It's an inevitable thing. It's bound to happen. COVID, yeah. COVID I think, is just showing that. Like, I think it's COVID has up. made more people comfortable with it. That's that the people that weren't comfortable with it are now becoming more comfortable with it. The older yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, you're right with that, and it's inevitable. It's always it's been pushed for all that, but I mean, the thing is that, I mean, as I I think I said before. Um, the problem is when, when you, you start doing that, you start uh, pretty much, you know, having technology take, take over a lot of these things. I mean, after having all these lockdowns and all that, a lot of people have noticed, even those who usually are fine, you know, staying home in the verse and all that, you know, 
miss hanging out with people, miss going out. I mean, looking at my store, there's so many people who literally just go to CVS now as like a social outing. It's like a huge thing for them because, you know, it's for them to get out of the house. And Sad, you know, homie. Yeah, but I mean, the way things are going, you know, it's going to uh, stores be first, then it'll be, you know, other things very soon. You know, everything's going to be, you know, virtual. And then the question is where this is going to stop. Is social interaction going to be like a thing of the past? This is going to be mean. This is going to be mean, but I don't care. Um, (laughs) I feel like, I feel like maybe what this has shown is a lot of people, it's shown a lot of people just how mediocre they are. Yeah, well, that's always like, the people like to hear that, Jeff. No, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I like a, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just uh, I know where you're coming from, and I get you. I get you on that. I think it's like because it's sad, and it's not. I'm just. I'm not saying it's like anybody's like you know, not necessarily anybody's fault, right? It's like as a society, yeah, we're just so programmed to be a certain way, you know, and like we have we're a consumer culture. And when we can't overconsume, when we can't consume at the level that we were consuming before, we start to feel super, like disconnected as persons, you know, in a way. Sure. And so, like, I think that's what it is. It's like people just want to go out and like live their lives the way that they were living bef- living them before, and that's completely fine. But I think I think we talked about this a little bit last time. Was one of the, I mean, at least for myself, one of the benefits of COVID, the lock. And I'm not saying COVID itself, but the lockdowns. Yeah. has been um, the focus, the re kind of like the refocusing of a lot of things. Like I, I realize now that a lot of the things that I used to do, maybe like, you know, the, a lot of the time wasters actually, like I used to just, sometimes I would, it'd be, you know, if I was just bored, if I didn't know what to do, if I was writing a paper, if I was, um, you know, if I just kind of got overwhelmed or whatever, I would just go to the store and walk around and buy, maybe I'd buy like a soda or something, you know, like that, but that was something that I would do almost to kind of unwind a little bit. But even then it was kind of like a time waster. I mean, I could have spent that time, I could have walked in the kitchen and said, Hey mom, how are you? But now I would have loved that. Yeah, probably. But now, (laughs) um, I think that it's refocused me in a lot of ways in the sense that now I am much more content on staying home and spending time with, with with like loved ones and stuff. And I think I'm more comfortable doing that. And I'm more appreciative of those little things, but I'm also more appreciative of like the items that I have access to. Like I don't need, I don't buy as much. I'm not consuming as much as I was before, but I'm also like much more, I'm much more fulfilled by the little that I do have. Yeah. But I think that's part of the issue is we, we live in such a, we live in a culture that's so backed by this idea of like consumerism and, 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 and um, that, I mean, that, it defines a lot of people and it's sad, you know, but I don't know. As I, hey, said, I don't think these Matt, hide all your really stuff, like, man. I know. I'm, 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 like, I'm listening to this as I look at all this stuff behind me. I go, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. It's okay though. I, I'm, I'm trying to fill a void, Jeffrey. It's okay. I'm trying to fill an empty. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't think these lo- I don't think the uh I don't know what will change regarding like stores and whatnot after the lockdowns. I mean, but in regards to like positions being cut and automation kind of taking over. I mean, again, like just like stores transitioning to major- to online like Amazon and stuff, like stores transitioning to online marketplaces. Yeah. I mean, it 
it's just, it's an, it's kind of like we've always as a species had to adapt to survive, right? Like this, what the society we're living in today is far different than the society that our great grandparents were living in. If you were, you know, so we're, we're always forced to adapt to survive in some ways. And I mean, in 50 years, when you go into a store and perhaps there's not a single employee in there ringing your, you know, checking your items out, that's not even going to be weird anymore. We're just going to get used to it. And we're going to find other like sectors of employment because now more people might flood into like the tech sector. More people will flood into engineering sectors, like other types of things. Water department. Like, I mean, gardening, but that is a legitimate concern. I feel like is, is eventually I feel like there will be an inevitable shortages of jobs. I mean, you had, um, you had Elon Musk like talking about this too. I think it was on the Rogan podcast. Like once AI and we have to be super careful with AI, yeah. but once AI like starts to really become a normal everyday part of our lives. And I think like w- there's going to be a lot of jobs that are very common to our society that are just going to be kaput, like kaput. They're just going to die. I mean, they're not going to be existent anymore. And a lot of people might be out of work. And and that's kind of another reason why I think that we should probably consider some form of um, basics, like basic payments for people. I mean, you look at, I think Finland did it for a little while. Um, they actually did a, they did a, stu- they did a uh, trial in California where they gave people base, like a base, base income. Every week you get a check, no questions asked. And um yeah, I mean, that's something that I think is a, I feel like in the next hundred years, like a UBI, universal basic income is what it's called. I feel like a UBI will be something, maybe even sooner, something that's like not too uncommon um, because of the fact that a lot of jobs are not going to be. So there's going to be like a sector. There's going to be a, a there's going to be like a, a, a group of people that don't have skills or like the necessary skills to, to like fulfill a certain, um, you know, criteria, per, perhaps. And there's going to be like a universal basic subsistence. So is this like a uh, unemployment or welfare system, or is this just a new way? UBI would, to, uh, yeah, UBI would replace it all. UBI, the, like the idea behind UBI is that universal basic income is like unbiased payments to everyone, rich or poor. Everybody gets it. You get it from the day you're born to the day you die. It replaces like social security. It replaces welfare. It replaces like it replaces all of so, these things. So then everybody just, is it one of those things where everybody goes to a job that helps, every, helps the world move, so to speak, or they just do what they want to do? Yeah, you could choose like, that's the, I mean, so there's been, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's quite a bit of literature. When you say, they, when you, say you can choose, they're, 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 there ain't a lot of choices being made there. If When I think of people's choice of working and not working, you know what I mean? No, I, that's, well, that's the thing. Like it would give people the choice if, if somebody didn't want to work, right? But there's a lot of jobs that already we don't pay. We don't, nobody pays money for. Think about, think about, you know, uh, homework like that mothers do. So it would allow stay-at-home mothers to have comp- a basic means of compensation. Oh, I think you know? it's definitely a cool deal. It should probably be monitored and d- d- dished out better. Alex has a look on his face like the only well, people that should be making I, money is him. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, the thing is that um, uh, it's 
that it sounds like something I'm going to have to look into and and, and learn more about before I can say a lot about it. Uh, just, I mean, it sounds like a, a, a good idea. Too good to be true, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, it's maybe like, it's me. Maybe I'm just a pessimist. Well, you know. The thing is, where's all the money going to come from and all that? Well, even, well all, that's the thing. There's yeah. like actually a lot of arguments for – there's actually a lot of arguments. There's arguments on both sides, of course. There's like arguments from economists that say, okay, like it would be it would be completely doable. And then there's arguments from economists that say it's, it's not realistic. But we already spend like – and you can look up the budget for the social budget online, uh, like for all social programs. Yeah. And it's like some, some, some economists have said that we would save money giving everybody a basic level of like a basic mm. um, like, you know, a basic income, essentially we would save money because we're spending so much money right now. Like we're paying employees to register, like to do these, you know, process these cases. Uh, so right. like, there's workers involved in this. There's like, a, there's an army of people that has to essentially run the systems, these different systems. And then like mm. tons of money leaks out of the cracks, of course, of probably course, I would course. imagine. And then there's a lot of people that are actually required, and then obviously there's the, and this is like probably a pretty, uh, you get backlash for this, but like there's obviously a lot of people applying for these things that probably don't need them. And right. a lot of people that do need them aren't getting the services they need because you have problem, to apply. Yeah. Because there's people that are just honestly too embarrassed to apply or Proud. a lot of the times mother, like women have been historically, like historically, um, you know, uh, mistreated in this regard. Right. I mean, in England, we have clear cases. There's been like women's movements behind this whole thing. And in America too, I mean, it's, there's tons of like societal issues that would, there's plenty of like, there's a lot of re good reasons why we should have a UBI. And then of course, there's a lot of good, re good reasons why we shouldn't. But the problem is that America, like it's very ill-received in America because we have this anti-socialist agenda, yeah. but we also fail. Like a lot of Americans fail to understand that the majority of programs in the United States are already so socially based. Yeah. Like what is welfare in general is, is, is a social, is a socialist idea. Yeah. You well, pay I mean, taxes on a UBI situation. Yeah. You would pay taxes. Like, no, I like, you would, nothing would necessarily change. It's, it's obviously like, this is all theoretical, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. there's not many, there's not many like countries that have done this. I mean, there's yeah, some yeah, European yeah. countries that have done this. Like I said, I think Finland did this for a little while. Um, and actually, I don't, know. I don't know. They, if they did eventually it. stop or. I don't know if they did. I think what they did was they chose a small group of people that receive it. It's like a prolonged. Like biodome. Yeah, but there's actually a system in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, that I'm yeah. pretty sure if you live in um, Alaska, they pay you every year. They pay you like a small sum of money to live in Alaska because not a lot of people want to live there. I think I've heard that. Yeah. So like they pay you, I think it's not a lot of money, but I think it's like 800, maybe $800, maybe less. But nonetheless, like it's technically a UBI um, because if you live in Alaska, you get the money. Um, to Alaska, <laughs> where it's nighttime for uh, what's the whole deal with it? In certain parts of Alaska, it's nighttime for like a month or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Thirty days of night. That Thirty days is, of night. There it is. It's horrible. Huh? 
They made a movie about it. Oh yeah, it was a comic book. It was based off of a graphic novel. There's um yeah. people don't recognize remember that there's uh there's an old Tales from the Crypt episode with Michael Ironside where he plays a hunter, big game hunter, and him and his uh rich friend they go to Alaska to hunt this at this wild elk or something. And uh, while they're there, they stumble into vampires and, um, you know, there's a big, you know, they, they get chased down by these vampires. And at the very end, it ends with he's the last one left. And uh, they're like, I, he gets chased out into this out into like the the main like gathering point of this place. And he's like, hey, I beat you guys. You know, it's six o'clock. The sun's going to be coming up any second. Now I win. I win. And they go, no foolish mortal. You know, this is your, you forgot where you are. You're in Alaska. It's, it's night for 30 days here. So then they eat them after that. You know what I mean? I always love that gag where, you know, the trickery kind of has like that, um, that raft creep show two vibe where you think you get out of it and then it gets you last minute. Yeah, Jeff. So I actually do have, I, I, it is in California. It says it here. This is NPR. So, uh, but it says, um, a universal basic income program run by a nonprofit organization founded by Tubbs gave $500 a month to 125 people who lived in census tracts at or below the city's median household income. Um, and like these people were, they found these people became more productive. They got, they actually worked more. They got better. Like they worked more. They were more motivated. Like, um, so there's like clear benefit. There's benefits yeah. to it. So they gave they it to some. They gave it to people that came from a poorer community. Um, yeah. They could they could live off of it. Just because they could doesn't mean everybody should, though. It's under, you know they probably got accustomed to living to b- below their means. You know what I mean? Than they would like to be. And um, the way they, they're eating uh, dollar store, respecting the dollar store, but they're eating dollar store uh, cheeseburgers, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No, I, <laughs> no. I, I mean, I, I get it. I, I think that. Um... Yeah, I mean, of course, it depends where you live, right? Like, <laughs> they're eating some of that dollar store pork chop. If anybody's familiar with that dollar store pork chop, I mean, look at how much it costs just to live in Massachusetts. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't yeah. even I don't know how anybody like I I have I have so many friends who can like a they can barely afford to move out like, and they make pretty decent money too. Like, they just can't. It's it's one of those things where it's like okay we either stay at home and keep saving money or you know we move out and we barely get by you know and we're talking people that make like they might make fifty plus k a year and they're like sixty yeah. k a year and they're and that that's like their car payment their insurance their rent every month like their break they're not they're barely able to put any money away factor in food like maybe eating out once a month or and so it's just like absurd. I, I would never, I don't think I would have, st- even if I stayed in the United States, I don't think there's any way I would have stayed in Massachusetts. I just think it's exceptionally unrealistic to start a life there. Yeah. I think that you automatically, if you don't come from a semi-affluent family, I feel like you automatically kind of in a way setting yourself up for failure a little bit because I oh, just can't, yeah. I can't see how you could realistically at 25 years old or even, or even, even honestly, like 30, like unless you have a really good job, afford to live in a nice community and have a nice car and have a really good, like, uh, standard of living. Little American dream type deal. It's just, I think I, I don't know how accurate it is, but I think that I saw something about like 
if you really wanted to have to, in order to have like a pretty deep, like a decently comfortable life, you need to make like, it was like a hundred plus thousand a year or something in mass. I thought it was synthetic happiness. Alex, was it <laughs> synthetic happiness with what you need for a good life? Uh, I only do that on the weekends. Yeah, you're a good man. Um, yeah, it's a weird time. You know what I mean? I think the fact that things are so weird might be a little more reason for people to stay home a little longer and not want to branch out there because the world's unstable, not just financially. You know what I mean? You got all types of shit going down, you know, COVID, you lose your job. You know, I mean, it all does stem back to financial at the end, because as a society, you know, we've come accustomed to money being so important to us. It's like when humanity first popped out of the first human, uh, the, the plan wasn't to get a job and pay bills and taxes. You know what I mean? It was to live life. And then as as humanity progresses, these things come into the mix where now you have to pay this. Now you need this job to pay for this, you know, pay this and that. You know what I mean? Well, I think it always comes down to the fact that, like, historic, I feel like it's always been this way with human beings. Like, we always have an idea. We always have this notion of superior and inferior. We always exploit we always exploit yeah, yeah. ourselves. Yeah, it's, and it's like, it's you know, it used to be at one point or another, like, Jonas had, you know, 10 pelts and I had one. You know what I mean? Like, that made him in some way, like, more valuable to the community than I was. Right. And, like, now it's just like, this guy has $100,000 and this guy has $10,000 and the other guy has $100. And that seems to be what kind of, like drives our vision like not, i wouldn't say that we view human worth necessarily like in the same i think certain would, people do unfortunately though yeah but certainly yeah. yeah potentially but i think like collectively i can say that we we're at the point now where we we, we think that human human uh you know the human life is is just it doesn't matter what it what you have it's all valuable equally but i think that like we still have this kind of curtain you know over our eye over our eyes that just we look at people differently by what they have and it's just a i feel like it's a necessary it's just something that society has western society has really just like pushed on us since birth you know it's in it's everywhere it's all around us there's always this idea of this person's better for this reason you know and you see that in cartoons you see that in media like it's all over the place. Think that, you think that's because humanity always wants to think that it can be something greater than it is? Yeah, of course. I think that, I mean, look at religion's a good example. Right. Religion's the biggest pile of horse shit ever. <laughs> like, any religion. It's a cross. Alex all across is an ordained shit. minister. <laughs> yeah, he has issues. Yes, of, of uh, the satanic rites. <laughs> oh, my. No, but just if I, I'm baffled. I get I get baffled when I see when I see like I don't know. It's just it's crazy to me, right? It's crazy. I think it's just crazy in our society now that we're at the point now where you can you can be an outspoken atheist and nobody will kill you, and that's awesome. Yeah, but be anything, same, really. Yeah, you but I could be. Freedom. Yeah, freedom, freedom. But, um, yeah, I've always I've always been super skeptical about religion because. It all, it's a, it's again, it, it always, it has so many weird, like, ideals. It's so many weird, like, under, you know, like the idea of, like, absolute truth, right? It's like that, that there's even independent of human beings, there's just truth and it just exists. It just is. 
and it's right. because God allows it. I mean, there's other theories, but that was a theory that was supported for a long, long time. Mm. You know, that's so weird because the way that I view truth, the way that I understand it is that it's just a human kind of, it's a human, it's, it's unique to the human perspective. You yeah. know, something's true. We can still have universal absolute truth, but it's because we uh, see it that way. Collectively. That spiritual stuff's all on the inside. And once it comes to the outside, you know, like this religion was destroyed really by man, by, by, by man, you know, man being corrupted and corrupting it for his own gain. Um, that's well, my take on it. Religion know? is, religion is spiritual regurg, like regurgitation. Yeah. Religion is like the vomit of, it's, yeah, it's, it's spiritual vomit. That's what, that's what it is. <laughs> it's just like, we have, um, I don't think it's hard to deny that like we have this feeling inside of us. Every person has it, whether you're, I think whether, even if you're an atheist, right? Like we all want, I think deep down, we all want there to be something bigger yeah. than us. Right. So it's like an innate feeling. It seems like, and it's because we're rational animals. It's because we can think re- rationally and we can question the world and we can say, why is the world the way that it is? Who, like, where did this come from? And yeah. we would like to think that something created it, right? And like, we would like to think that there's something that created us and made us special for some reason. Like what makes me more special? Why am I a, a human being? And, and, you know, why am I, why are human beings like the dominant species? Why, you know, that's something that I think that we just innate, we question these things. That's the type of animals we are. But I don't even, I mean, at that, right, it's like, it just seems like that could just be the way that it is. And there's no explanation. And I, I kind of think that there probably is no explanation. It's no deeper spiritual explanation or metaphysical explanation. No. I just kind of think that this is the way that it, things panned out. It could have panned out a different way, potentially, in a different world. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's a quote by Nietzsche that I, I actually really like. And it's um, it's like the mosquito flies through the air with the same self, like high self-worth that the human being does. Yeah. Like the, the mosquito, like to the mosquito, it thinks that it's the center of the universe. Right. I mean, it doesn't actually think that because it can't rationally re- you know, reason, but like. I don't know what you mean. It revolves yeah. around, everything revolves around it. Everything revolves around it. And that's the way that, you know, human beings have this kind of, it's it's unique. It's crazy, but yeah, religion's really weird. It's a super strange thing. And and I, what's funny too is I think that the majority of like super religious people are like some of the morally most corrupt people I've ever met. Like, right. <laughs> no, some of them are for sure. That's the other oh, thing. Oh, they are. Wish wish your belief in a god figure lie. I believe in a god figure. I think I just. I mean, I'm like. I would. I, here's the thing. I mean, I'm not a diehard atheist. You know, I, I think yeah. that. I think that there's, I think that being a diehard atheist is semi, is, is pretty like naive. Yeah. Cause I think it excludes way too many possibilities. And it's like, how can you even rationally exclude that many possibilities? Yeah. But I also think it's super naive to just, ex- to just accept the fact that there's a God the way that Christians or cat, like whatever it may be, describe him. Yeah. Or her. I mean, but just the fact that, um, I think that's also kind of naive, right? I'm in the middle. I I think that I'm pretty agnostic about it. Like I would like to think, like I said, I would like to think that there's some kind of metaphysical explanation for this, 
but I don't know what it is. I mean, there's so many, there's been so many interesting, there's so many like interesting theories out there that beyond Christian, like beyond these, you know, I mean, you have like, I, I'm, I can't think of the name, but you know, you have certain philosophers that have explained things in very cool ways. Spinoza, for example, like yeah. Barak Spinoza. Barak, I can't pronounce his name. You Barak can't either. Yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of really like cool, we're essentially like just the earth, like the universe is, is God. That's kind of my vibe. I feel like it's a big, like the good energy in the world. You know what I mean? Like the positive vibe. And there, the positivity yeah. in the world, I think that's it. And the same way, all the negative vibe, you know, I think that's like the, the devil, if you will, the evil energy out there, just all that yeah. black. It's just negative. It's a, you know, it comes around, the, you know, the, the gloomy feel. You get that gloom when you get depressed and shit. I think it's part of that dark energy, just the aura. You know what I mean? It's all electricity and energy, I feel. Well, just think about the, I mean, just how how big, right? How, like, big the how big the universe, I mean, it's infinite. Like we, right. we, we conceive it as infinite. Like it has no end. And that's just crazy to think about. And that's another reason why I think it's so absurd to think that there's something special about earth. Like there's something like, I think it's just so naive to think that way. I think like there's there, to think that there's something, but it's, it's like, it, this is, it's exceptionalism is what it's called. And this is, seems to be something that's ingrained in, in every, almost every aspect, like so many aspects of human life, like we, I mean, you look at America, for instance, and you look at a lot of the people that, that are like, oh, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't have to wear a mask. I mean, it's anywhere. We have it here in Austria, too, and stuff. But it's just human beings in general. I mean, you always have these people that are, they think that they're the exception. That they don't have to do it. Yeah. And... Oh. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, oh, it's so, it's such a deep topic. Free such will, people topic. do whatever they want to do when they want to do it, you know? Well, uh, you know, I think travel's going to be a big predicky for us for a long time. You know, hopefully we'll see Jeff uh, again someday in the, in the flesh, you know? Yeah, I think we'll be, I think we'll probably be coming home for, that's the other thing, actually, which we didn't even discuss, but, um, yeah, I can go back to America, of course, whenever I want. Yeah. Like, whenever I please, I can come, I can go to America and I can come back to Austria whenever I want. But, yeah, I mean, I Marlena can't come to America. They wouldn't let her, they won't let her in. They won't let her? No. So. Interesting. So that's, so that's kind of, we're waiting for, we're waiting for that because I'm, I'm most likely missing my graduation. That's in May. They're doing that on May 22nd because they canceled it last year. Yeah. And so, so the m- most likely not going to be there for that. And that is, is in large part because of, of course I have school, the school, the way that they have the, the layout here is a lot different, but um, it's also just, it also has to do with the fact that I, I mean, she can't come, she can't come with me. And I think that we're probably going to wait till we might try to come back for Christmas, but we're going to yeah. see. It'll be good to see you. Yeah, I'm doggy. Well, <laughs> and when they come back around Christmas time, they're going to have to travel. And they're going to have to deal with the worst travel. Holiday travel. Oh, boy. Holiday travel, right. Uh, 
Expensive. Hey, on the tail end of the pandemic. Expensive. Mucho headaches. Right. Last last time I went on a plane, I went with the, the 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 gentleman over there, Alexander the Hawk. We appeared at the Gathering of the Juggalos, 2019, the 20th annual. Yeah, damn! Um, it feels like it's been like they years, charge you like uh, many years. It does like feel like years. ten years ago. Yeah, and they they charged every time we breathed in. They charged us fifty cents. I remember. Yeah, exhaling was a dollar. Oh my god! No, yeah, uh, such a strange. Us- no, I was gonna say that's just such a strange like uh, thing. The 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 jug the meeting of the juggalos. I it's so cool to watch that. Gathering, so, we're so in bizarre. a camp. Me and Alex are actually in. There's a people did videos throughout the weekend, and I've seen them on YouTube. But me and Alex are in a couple of them, which is fun. Oh. If you're Ooh, had some strange people there, huh? Oh, they're all good people. Fun fan. The juggalos love boombastic. They get down with it. We sold more. We sold more stuff at the gathering of the jugglers than we do at you know conventions. We usually do pretty good at conventions, and we did really yeah. good at the gathering. We're looking to go back. We had a little deal worked out before COVID, unfortunately. So we're hoping that it's still cool when we return. But the plan is that we're going to be there every year uh, from this point forward, and kind of get uh, the plans to get a little more involved with you know certain things. That's just the best. Plan. Have you heard anything about this year? Whether they. Uh, no, this year is not happening. Yeah, I, I didn't and, uh, think they were going to do it uh, this year, but you know, they're doing a lot of like, um, like um, streaming stuff. I'm still talking to Rob. I gave him some ideas for the, some streaming that they used, which was nice. No royalty check, no royalty check or credit on that, but at least in my heart of hearts. To go back to the money thing earlier, it's funny, you know. You gotta, you know, you got, you got like fresh points in life. You know what I mean? Like you got, you got, you can make money, which is a beautiful thing. But then you can also, you know, when you accomplish things in life, you kind of take those things with you mentally, which are kind of more important than money financially, because you can actually take that to the next realm. You get to do That's the way that I see it. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, of course, like, I don't know, like, once again, back to the whole, like, metaphysical craziness. I don't know why, you know, I'm not doing it necessarily for that reason, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the memories far outweigh the, I'd rather like, you know, I'd rather have 10 trips planned, 10 trips planned over the next two or three years and, you know, then, uh, then, then just slave away at a job that I hate and like put money away every week. Well, like yeah. me and that'd be good too. <laughs> so but, to, to tie it all the yeah, you know what I mean. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, but we slave at, at work so we can go on these trips, so we can you know uh, broaden ourselves and get out of uh, the uh, the muck that we find ourselves in. Well, that's, well, the, that's the cool thing. Yeah, you can travel like so many places and, and work while you're there. Like for for example, in Australia, like right now with the lockdowns, they're they're actually they're actually at a shortage for 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 uh, with their agriculture industry is in a shortage of people because a lot of the people that work in the agriculture industry are usually tourists like myself that would go to Australia and work in the fields for you know a couple of months save money and then go to some other go to like an Asian country spend it all go back to Australia work again and then jump around and I know plenty of people that have done that and and. They said it was awesome. I mean, they go to Australia for five months, they work, they go to like Bangkok for, you know, a half a year and then they go back or they go to South America. Like, 
I, I go I go to Asia once a year to work the fields myself, the <laughs> poppy fields. Yes, I'm harvesting up that heroin. Age he he works on the poppy fields. I take the poppies. Yeah. They call me White Man Poppy over there. <laughs> Big Poppy. <laughs> That's my nickname, Big Poppy. They call him Big Poppy. They say, they say my my fucking heroin's the rawest heroin on the street. If you fucking smell it, you die. You overdose and die. That's how good it is. All right, gentlemen, we're going a little too crazy here. You guys gotta you guys gotta pull it back a little, all right? All right, thank you. So yeah, you know, and to go into that that the, the atheist thing, and with the with the with the memories, man, you know, two things can happen when you die. When you die, one, heaven and hell. Dose, blackness, complete <laughs> darkness. You know what I mean? And you're just left to deal with yourself. You know what I mean? And my personal vibe. Like, I think that's what hell is. My personal vibe of what hell is, is like, if you live your life as shitbag and you do everything wrong and you, you go out of your way to be, you know, a real piece of, piece of garbage, when you're dead, you're alone with yourself to think about how you fucked up and you only had one shot at life and that's how you handled it. I think that's hell. Uh, as well as your inner mind lets you see, you know, the, the way you treated other people like shit you see, you have to look at scenarios of your loved ones being in those situations and you can't help them. I think that's hell. And then the heaven side of it's just a positive glow of peace. You can be with the, with loved ones. You know what I mean? Again, type, I think that's kind of the heavenly thing, you know, growing up in the church, the idea of like, you know, mansion, go mansions on golden streets always seemed real weird to me. That's very materialistic and like God's not, was never been set out to be a materialistic person. Uh, or entity, you know what I mean? And I always took heaven, the heaven that was pushed to be very materialistic. But I think it's more of just a subconscious, you know, it's being in a place, you know what I mean, that you're not really in. Um, mm. In another comfortability. State, like an enlightened state, yeah. You're all as one type deal. Like you all go, I feel like you go back into the ball of energy type deal when you die. And then maybe, you know, Ray, with who's not, you know, Ray's napping, we'll say. It's not that he's not here right now, uh, but he's a big he's a big believer in reincarnation, or reincarnation, if you will. And um, I don't really believe in that. I think the reincarnation. I don't. I just don't. I don't feel like you die and you wake. You come. You you come back as another baby. I think that's weird. Um, but yeah. I could be completely wrong. What's you guys' take on reincarnation? Yeah, I mean, there's good story. There's good. There's like some weird stories every now and again. Like you'll see some news articles that kind of. I'm like, oh, this person remembered. Like, I think I just saw one a couple of weeks ago where this like little kid could just recall the could, could recall like super strange but yet accurate events of 9/11. Yeah, and I was there. I was like, it was kind of uh, kind of weird, of course. But yeah, I don't necessarily feed into it. I, I don't think that. Um, I don't. I don't think that. Here's the thing. Like, I'm just a very when it comes to things like this, when it comes to spiritual anything necessarily, like on a really, you know, I'm usually pretty like, I want to say I'm kind of a realist. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm in, in, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm kind of a realist. If the, if there's like no, if there's like a better explanation, because a lot of the times there could potentially be a pretty decent, uh, you know, a scientific explanation or like at least a better explanation for why, you know, why something happened. 
So, I mean, you could, you could just say, okay, by Occam's razor, like that makes more, that's just a better option. I well, should, that goes, I should go with that. Yeah. And it goes into the praying thing too with the religious, but the praying thing I think is speaking things out into the world, you know, where like if, if you were to just go, if, if I was to say every, every day, wake up and go, okay, I'm going to be, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do a great podcast this week. And, I, you know, and every day leading up to it, I'm just saying, speaking it into the world, it'll be great. It'll be great. It'll be great. I think, you know, I think you putting the positivity out there like that can reflect it and bring positivity in, in to, back to you. And I think that's kind of what praying is, you know what I mean? Because you're kind of speaking it out into the world. And I think if you speak it out enough that you make you make it real. That's what I think. Think about, think about the control think about control groups and like experiments. But you are kind of asking an energy for it though. Like there is a God, you know what I mean? You are asking like a higher energy for these things and speaking out. And it just kind of circulates, you know. I get what you're I get what you're saying. I, I also think though that like it's the same thing. It's like a spiritual like placebo effect. Yeah. So like you have, you, like you have this tendency. You're like, okay, I feel you're more motivated because you're telling yourself you're going to do this every day, and then yeah. you you have that additional motivation if you really have this strong belief in God, for for instance, that then something is helping you. So you're kind of, you're probably performing better. Yeah. Anyway, right. Well, I think that it's probably like a spiritual like placebo effect. Like, it's a positive thing, you know. Yeah, anybody can, yeah. tries it can tell you if you're if you're being positive about something, you're going to have a better effect than being negative about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm not the type of person that would ever say like, "Oh, you shouldn't be religious," right? Like, I mean, religion oh, yeah. is like great for a lot of people, and and like right. that's for a lot of people, it's exactly what they you know, it's what they need. It saves them, yeah. It keeps them positive for that same reason. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that my biggest thing against religion growing up was that it was just so it was pushed in a weird way. Yeah. Like I just we just always I just seemed to always have people like pushing it on me. Nobody would really give me like a good reason why I should be like good explanation as to why I should um be religious or fit the religious mold that they were pushing. Yeah. No one could ever tell me why I should do it. They would just tell me I just should. And I right. think that I'm the type of person where I, I just don't I don't like to be told to do something with like no greater um with well, no should. reason involved. Like the I don't think part, anybody does. You got to fill in the should part. You know what I mean? Why you should. Yeah. I, I know. I mean, me and you kind of come from the same background, I guess. I guess we kind of come from the same walk of life. Um, so I can get it. I can, I can vibe with that. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's weird. You know, there's different people that take, you're coming from an older school type of religious person, which that older type of person is the, don't question it's almost like old testament and new testament you know what i mean where the old testament is really the vengeful wrathful um vengeful god you know what i mean it's the don't even question anything um and i think those older generation people uh, i think they got that vibe with it where it should, the idea of them actually see that's where i kind of came into it too and god you know in the bible it does he does it god does say you know you question things you know he does don't he says don't trust man don't put faith in man and don't tr- and, and question everything. You know what I mean? And that in yeah. old school people get afraid because they feel like if they're questioning God, Oh, like, you know, just think of the heaviness of that, of that statement questioning God, you know what I mean? So I think it, it lays very heavy on them. But that was um, the thing. I just hated yeah. the fact that it felt like it was like, they were suppressing me in a way, like they were suppressing my ability to learn. 
And well, I felt like that, pushing... that was something that I just like despised on a very, 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 very like well, you're a free thinker. serious way. Like I hated it because I mean, yeah. I had always seen. And then as I started to look and as I started to look at religion, I mean, I was never like very historically, like I, I didn't sit down and, and study the origins of Christianity and, you know, all of these things necessarily in a deep, deep way. But right. I mean, you'll notice that in societies for a long, long time, usually exceptionally religious societies um, have a tendency to control information, control yeah. what books were being read, suppress, you know, it was like, and that's a, that's a pretty big, like, that's a pretty serious, especially like our understanding of, I know that our understanding of like human rights mm-hmm. is very new. Like the, it's a 20, kind of a 20th century, like idea, you know, there was a time when, we wouldn't say that someone necessarily it's someone's right to have freedom to think freely or freedom of speech. Like that would have been, that would have been weird to say maybe several hundred years ago, but, and even weirder to say a thousand years ago, but I think now it it seems so, it's just so like weird to think about somebody telling you, you can't think, you can't think about something in a certain way. You can't freely think of, yeah, you can't freely think about something in a certain way because it feels like they're taking an essential part away from you, essential part of who you are, an essential human right that you might have, that you have. And so I think that was always kind of my, my, why I rejected a lot of the religious stuff that was being said to me because I felt like it was just really suppressing who I could be. Yeah. It's a tr- whenever you get anybody, you, you know, and I've always known that about you to be an open, um, a free thinker, you know, um, it's kind of like, uh, you're going to figure it out type deal. And that's what spiritual spirituality is that I think everybody has to figure it out for their own. And once you kind of figure out your own spirituality, then you can mesh up and group up and have conversations and go deeper with people. But you really get to find your place with it. And when you're kind of being told that you need to do something a certain way, and if you ask for questions and they can't answer them, that it comes from a very questionable place. It makes you question it. You know what I mean? You should, you should really like look into um... – he was he was semi contemporary with Nietzsche, like maybe a little bit. I think he was a little bit before Nietzsche, but Kierkegaard, Sergeant Kierkegaard. Yeah. And I mean, he was a pretty religious existentialist philosopher, which is I know a little weird, but um, he he actually thought that like people, he was super religious, but he thought that religion was something that can never be expressed in the realm of language. That it, it's a subjective truth that you know and only and like you know and only you know. And that you can never explain it. To, you can't ever explain it to anybody. And that if you do, if you can explain it to somebody, if you tell somebody what you think God is, then you're just bullshitting them. You then you don't know, because right. if you really knew, you wouldn't be able to express it in language. And like, in a way, that's kind of how. If I were to be religious, I think that that's how I would be religious. And I might be religious in that way. Perhaps I don't even. Because because again, like I, I think that there's I think there's I, I want there to be something but I, I wouldn't like give you some anthropomorphic explanation of that thing. I would never yeah. say that, Oh, it's, he's a, he's a white man who, you know what I mean? Or like whatever. Um, or he's a man or he's this or that. Like I would never even refer to it as he or her gender it in any way, because I don't view it as, as being in any way, shape or form mm. uh, having these types of qualities. And that's what yeah. I think. That's also, it's just weird, you know? I don't know. With the God thing? 
having quality, well, the, give, being well, the, able to say it's a man or woman. Yeah, the, well, the God thing being like having pers- having human qualities. Because yeah. it's like we're so imperfect anyway, where it's like, why would a God that, you know, if you're going to define God as this perfect, right. omniscient, all-knowing, you know, powerful thing, why would you like blemish it with human qualities in any way? Well, they're, yeah, they're, in the Bible, they talk about God almost looking like a dragon in certain parts, which is interesting. But that thing that you were just saying right there is, um, me and Ray talked about this on Mostly Ghostly recently. And, you know, we we're talking about what we figured, what we thought God might look like. And my take with the energy thing is it's almost like a, if you guys have seen the abyss, almost like that, where it would be this big ball of energy, this orb. But like, let's say you walked up to it and approached it. I feel like a piece of it would mold and appear to you as something that you would recognize and be comfortable with and be able to, mm-hmm. you know, have a conversation with it that way. Cause you know, this, this energy would be the overall energy of everything. We're talking different universes, you know, different, you know, different types of life forms. You know what I mean? It would all be engulfed in this thing. And uh, I it would be able to have a conversation with us and not scare us and t- speak our language the same way that it could, you know, talk to some other thing with eight heads, eight billion light years away from us. You know what I mean? With like f- fucking big worm with like eight legs, you know, eight heads, you know what I mean? But be mm-hmm. able to show itself to that and communicate throughout however it communicates. Through it. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? I think but, that's the deal, like a higher intelligence type deal. And yeah, there, there's some classic explanations that are kind of like go around two central ideas. And that's that like God would be you have to explain God as having a material component, like a like a physical component, yeah. but then also like a mental component, because like for a lot of for many for a long, long time, it was commonly accepted that like. And I mean, we still talk about this in philosophy quite a bit, like this dualism, this dual, the dualism problem, because it's like we are, we, we're a mental, we're, we're mental, you know, our mind, it's a big question. Is our mind separate from our body or is it one thing? Because it, it's such a, it's like what, you know, mind in general, it's so, it's non-physical. Right. Like thoughts are non-physical, but we have them nonetheless. Like we would still say that a thought is a thing. A thought is an object in some way. So it's like classical, more classical explanation, explanations try to kind of explain God as being mental and, and, you know, having two kind of, you know, energy outputs as you will. One's that physical component where this desk is like in some way related to God, but also my thoughts are related to God that like my thoughts potentially might maybe God is this, you know, maybe God is thought like that is what thought is. It's God. It's one of it's, it's like, so God is thought and everything that can ever be thought and everything that's ever going to be thought is already been thought by God. And so like that could be one potential explanation. And then any physical object that could possibly exist has it's has, it's, you know, is, uh, is made possible and is kind of exists through God's physical component. Right. So that's like a super old, like Plato, like they were talking about that in like ancient Greece. Like that was something that this was, this was an idea that Plato was cultivating in, in, in his uh, dialogues. Yeah. So this, this is something that's, yeah. So it's like every thought is just 
you know? Yeah, I, I believe that. You know, I feel I think everybody has a bit of God in them, that energy. And then when you die, that's what goes back into the, you know, accumulates in a big ball of energy type deal. Um, and maybe you do come back, but maybe you're not coming back exactly the same. You know what I mean? Um, Ray go, will go and go. Gray says, you know, people, if you, if you come back and you have a weird fear of water or something like that, they think this stuff like that is a sign that you have, that you drowned it in a previous life. You know, it's a very interesting stuff, but I'm not saying he's wrong. You know what I mean? I, I, I believe that it's the, I, I tend to believe that it's either, um, it's this, 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 you know, space where you can kind of float around freely, like in a heaven like thing, or just like a, like a left with your own self. But it's all an energy. It's not like I don't believe in physical going into physical houses. I mean, you know, they even went, you know, marriages like when you you're only when you get married, it's weird. It's like when you get married, you're only married in earth. You you're, you get eyes and you get married in the eyes of God, but it only lasts for when you're on earth. So it's like when you go to heaven, you're no longer married. It's a weird, like, I don't understand the, the small things like that. You know what I mean? It's a weird vibe. If you're taking a vow to them, wouldn't that be a straight up yeah. vow? Or, or you'd think that, like, or you'd think that if if there is this kind of realm, as, as, as it were, yeah. where this energy would kind of combine, you know, where all these, you know, all of this human energy or whatever would, would, would kind of culminate together. You'd yeah. think that you'd still be able to, you, you'd think that you'd still have the recollection. You'd still have the understanding and that like your commitments would still be, you'd still carry out certain commitments because like you'd still, you think, right? Like one of the biggest, like one of the things that people always say, and we, yeah. we always want to see people again. So we would say like, Oh, I'll see you in heaven, you know? Right. And so you'd think that you'd go to heaven and you'd see, you know, you'd see a loved one or you'd see, you know, you'd see your wife or you'd see your kids or you'd see, you know, and that would no. be kind of your hope. Kind of like the main thing people look forward to when they die and their their plans for going to heaven. Like they, yeah. they look forward to seeing their loved ones. You know what I mean? They're not, it's not, they're not looking forward to mansions and, dancing in the streets they really just want to see their well, love speak for yourself I'm, I'm hoping to get a mansion <laughs> He's I, mean, heck, I don't have one now i'm hoping for a mansion and, and a golden driveway once you once you buy shirts that you're not you're not drawing on with magic marker to put a design on them, then you can have a mansion <laughs> like you drew on that shirt with a with a fucking sharpie. Hey, 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 you were you're with good. me when i got this shirt. Nah, i know i love you all much special you're a good man you're a good man but back to that, though, I, I think that, I mean, because that, that's the other thing. I, I try to think of it in the sense, too, where, like, yeah, that'd be that'd be cool, of course. That would be, I wouldn't complain. You know, that's the thing. I wouldn't complain if that was the case. But I also think that, like, human beings, we're very, very afraid of death. Everybody's afraid of death. There's no way to suppress that fear. We can say that we're more we're comfortable we're more comfortable with it than others, but at a subconscious level, we are terrified. I think of it, and 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 um, I think that we create these like fantasies to kind of make ourselves more comfortable with the idea. Yeah. So it's like we could, that's so that's where I think a lot of these like notions of heaven come in. 
like these explanations yeah. of heaven come in. Like I want to see because we hate that impermanence is a terrifying thing. Right. Like if you really sit down and ponder impermanence, it's like every in reality, everything that you've ever like touched or ever like laid your eyes on, ever loved, ever cared for, ever right. held, like it's it's all going to cease to exist at one point or another. Like you will never, there's going to be a point in time where you are never going to be able to see that thing or touch that thing or love that thing ever again, as you know it. And that's a really like crazy thought. I mean, it's, we had a whole, we had a class my freshman year of college where for like three weeks, we just talked about that, that single fact. Like we just talked about impermanence and it was for three weeks. We talked about the fact that you're never, there's, and our professor said, he started the conversation by saying, like, I love my two daughters more than anything in the world. But at the same time, every night that I tuck them in bed, I know that there's going to be a time where I'm never going to be able to, I'm never going to see them again. Like, I'm going to die or they could die. Yeah. And I'm, and that just, it's, and like, he's just like, I've, I try to, I try to come to terms with that. And I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. Like, and this is like a very, this is a very, very, very like deeply spiritual, like philosophically rich human being, like super interesting guy. Like yeah. spent this is actually like probably one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Actually, he's from you, he was from no 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 this guy was this guy was cool. He went to you Rutgers. be cool in the press, man. Like, no no I know, I know I know cool I know <laughs> but um, he went to Rutgers in New Jersey and he uh, after high school. He like flew to India and became, he was essentially like going to become a boot, like a full blown Buddhist. Hmm. Like he speaks Sanskrit. He can, he can read Sanskrit, hmm. speak Sanskrit. The guy's like, the guy's so, so cool. And he did said, he leave, that he, did he leave his family behind or he take them with him? No, he just, no, like this was after in high school. So he left his parents. Oh, and okay. Went to I, India. I thought he was like, I thought you were telling going to say that he said, well, I'm not going to have these daughters in my life in the future. So I'm fucking bouncing now. No, 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 no. No, he, um, he went to, he like went to India and like lived in India for years, I guess. And then just made this decision where he said, I'm either just going to become a Buddha. Like I'm just either going to become essentially like a monk and just live in like a sanctuary yeah. for the rest of my life. And he had a friend who did that. Or I'm going to go back to America and get my PhD in philosophy and like focus on Eastern philosophy. And that's what he did, of course. But he was like, I seriously considered doing that. And I mean, what's cool about like philosophy is like, your professors are super open about their drug use. <laughs> like, I, was thinking, I don't know if there's enough weed to be a monk, enough weed in the world to be a monk. No, like acid was the big thing. For what, monks? No, 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 like for, for a lot, I, I had plenty of philosophy. Thinking, yeah. I had plenty of like philosophy professors who would say like, yeah, I know I experimented with, with acid or I had a friend who experimented with acid or something. Um, yeah, you gotta, you know, if you, if you're going to deal, if you want to dive deep into the mind, you got to learn how to open that mind up. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it was always, it was always, um, yeah, I mean, they were always they were, they were they would never they would never say it. You know, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but right, right, right. <laughs> I, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, it was it was always a really interesting like always a really like super super interesting thing because I was always, I I mean I always wanted to try it actually like I was very very curious about about acid but also super like nervous at the same time. You never you know, tried acid. 
No. I was looking at your Wikipedia page before this, and I thought I read something like that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I'm like nervous. I'm so. I'm like. I get so like. Um, with things like that, I don't know. I just feel like I don't trust. There's not a single drug dealer on earth that I think I trust enough. Like that's like a weird thing. Like I just. Yeah. I just. I'm just not comfortable like ingesting it. You know. And but, yeah. You know. Yeah. The, the, you know. Who, who who knows who's making this stuff? You know? Yeah. Cause it's like, forever or something. Cause like, I know people that are like, I mean, cause even now, like in the master's program, like I, I'll have people, I, I, I know of people that are, that are, that do it and stuff. And they're always like, Oh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I just, I also get to a, I'm at a point now in my life where I really just like, don't have the, I don't really like want to do anything like that anymore. Anyway. Like I don't even it's really want to, huh? It's a time and a place. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just don't, that was another thing like COVID did. COVID slowed me down. So like the lockdown slowed me down so much. Yeah. I mean, last in 2019 with, um, you know, when I was living in Ireland, that was probably the craziest time of my life. That was arguably like the, the most unhealthy time of my life. I mean, we were drinking almost every day. <laughs> Like six, it was ridiculous. It was like, you know, we'd start, we would go out every night. I mean, it was really like problematic. But I came home from that experience, that four months of just straight. And if you're going to do it in any country, if you're going to like pretty much become an alcoholic in any country, Ireland's the place to do it. I mean, it is, Ireland is, is a really, the drinking culture in Ireland is un, it's unheard of. I mean, it's crazy. Um, but when I came home in uh, in December, yeah, I just like did not have the desire to really drink that much anymore. I was just over it. And then by the time we got back, by the time I moved here, the drinking culture here is really really crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I just I'm I'm an old man now. I feel like I have like one I have my one beer a night or something, or my or my one beer every two like couple of days, and uh, that's it for me. That's that's all. That's the only drug I need. They don't got the craft beer for you. That's why. They have some actually. The craft, like it's not non-existent, but yeah, they, they do actually have a bit of a scene over here. You gotta start the scene. You could be the dude who originates the scene over there. But uh, I know we got we got to wrap it up a little bit here. So uh, you know, yeah, I think that was a pretty good discussion. You know, got a little uh, foreign man in a foreign land type deal, and got to talk about a few current events. You know, so that was good stuff. You guys are. We hope you all like Jeff Barry. You'll be hearing more of him on the Behold the Pill podcast uh, yeah. situation. Oh, yeah. All right. Anybody want to say anything in closing before we uh, head out of here? Or? Don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. <laughs> Don't drink the water. Just drink the beer. Don't drink the water. Whenever no. you're traveling, never drink the water. Always drink the beer. I drink Don't the tap Bill, water. Don't eat Bill Gates. I drink the brownies. tap water all the time. <laughs> We got the, uh, we got the tap there. water from the Alps. Hell yeah. Only the best. Only the best for Boombastic Media people. Thank so you. everybody out there, go check out all the other shows on the Boombastic Media Network. There's a YouTube page on the Boombastic Media to catch some TV show uh, episodic type shows. And uh, we also dropped the uh, Patreon. Yeah, uh, we got a Patreon, our Patreon page. If anybody out there looking to support, we got the Boombastic Streaming 
Patreon page. You could become a patron. There's a lot of cool perks up in there for you. And uh, I'm not talking about Perco set unless you're Hawkman. <laughs> Hawkman got a Perco set problem. Uh, what His can problems, I say? You don't it got it no perks me up. It keeps them perky. All right, folks. Well, we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of Behold a Pale Podcast. Horrifying, Hawk. The Gates Foundation has documented the uh, the economic catastrophe that COVID-19 has produced. Bill, what if the recovery out of this catastrophe is K-shaped, which is to say one half of industry and society emerging from the pandemic strong and possibly stronger than before, and the other half weaker and falling further behind. And the other half weaker and falling further behind. Well, the uh, as long as the disease is out there, things like tourism, restaurants, uh a lot of small businesses will be disproportionately affected, whereas office workers, where you know the virtual connections has actually meant that their loss of productivity is actually quite modest, they'll continue to have their job and be able to be fairly productive. And so the inequity of this, whether it's between uh, citizens in the country, you know, blue-collar versus white-collar, uh, you know, uh, blacks, blacks experiencing a higher, higher uh, sickness, uh, sickness rate, rate uh, than uh, others. Than others. Uh, you know, poor countries can't borrow money and spend money and spend like money uh, the U.S. and other like rich countries uh, have. So almost every dimension of inequity has been accentuated here, and that just takes us back to we've got to bring this thing to a close, uh, and then you can have the tourism and the travel and the sports and the uh, variety of things, you know, uh, get back uh, to where we were before this. The conspiracy theorists who believe that you helped to create and spread the coronavirus might be easy to dismiss if there weren't so many of them. Has that notoriety become an impediment to your efforts or the foundation's work yet? Well, it's so crazy, you know, to suggest the opposite, which is, you know, we make vaccines and that has saved, you know, millions of lives to somehow uh, say that the vaccine in general is malign or that, you know, the the deaths uh, aren't really taking place. It's surprising to me how, interesting that is so it spreads far more quickly than the truth the big concern is that if that means that the protection uh, of others like wearing masks or a willingness of enough people uh, to take the vaccine then it absolutely does make things worse and the idea of how should these social media platforms try and avoid being the source of these uh, sort of weirdly interesting falsehoods, uh, that's a debate or discussion we're going we're gonna to have to continue to have.